Hmm? Ah! Oh. keep your wrist loose like this. Lean in all casual like. Thwack! Snap your fingers right on his nuts. Now you gotta remember, you go low, you go too high, you get nothing but dick. All right, let's see what you got. You're a natural. I'm Lucy. And I'm Enwin. And this is The Walking Dead cast, episode 377. Welcome, Anwen. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to be here. First time on Walking Dead cast. It is a pleasure to have you. Jason's having a well-deserved rest week. and We thought we would cast ourselves into the future because it's Wednesday where you are. It is. It's Wednesday morning here. And I was just thinking, first time on Walking Dead cast, but you could probably make an entire episode just on the feedback that I've left in the last <laughs> five years. <laughs> I think you and I, our feedback is always uh, appreciated because of our accents. So if you're not a fan of um, accents or uh, ladies this episode, guys, you might want to give this one a skip because it's uh, New Zealand, Scotland spectacular. (laughs) Yeah, ladies with accents. Ladies with accents. That's the theme for this week. Um, So without further ado, I guess I'll take us into the Deadcast Top 5. Attention shoppers, Deadcast Top 5 in 5, 4, 3, 2... And this is our top five highlights for The Walking Dead Season 10, Episode 5, What It Always Is. You know what it is. (laughs) What it is. Out front, what did you make of the episode, Anwen? I loved the episode. I thought it was really solid. Amazing. I thought it was a really good mixture of action and character development. Mm -hmm. I don't know, Lucy, if you ever used to watch Star Trek. I have been known to dabble. <laughs> you're, a, you're a Star Trek dabbler. I am. Um, well, back in the day, in the 80s and 90s, I used to watch a lot. And we used to say back then, uh, I guess it's pretty old-fashioned now and quite gender-biased, but back then we used to say they had girl episodes and boy episodes. So <laughs> the girl episodes were the ones where there was all character development and, and talky-talky, yep. and then the boy episodes was the bangy, smashy explosions. Yeah. And um, – I think that this was a really good mixture of the yes. character development and the action. And yeah, I really enjoyed it a lot. I was quite captivated and I was yeah. pleased to watch it twice. <laughs> it was a, a gender balanced episode. <laughs> it was, it really was. <laughs> I was just, I literally, I just got in from work and um, I was helping teach a class and we were talking about uh, the balance of the masculine and the feminine in the 16th century so it's actually on point to be talking about uh, the male and the female in that respect and um, I have to say I was scared I was going to mix my notes up and do my class notes instead of my walking dead notes but <laughs> I'm pretty sure I can see the name Negan on these so I think we're fine Um I feel the same I think it was a really well balanced episode and there were things about it that I really enjoyed Um there were some little bits and pieces that I'm going to get into a little bit but generally I think it was another 
another strong episode in a, a run of pretty strong episodes from the Angela Kang era. Uh, as you are our guest, would you like to take us into your number five? I will, thank you. Now, I'm just going to get it out of the way mm-hmm. right up front, and I'm going to go with nut tapping. <laughs> <laughs> I know it has to be spoken about and I've got a lot more to say about Negan that'll come later but Mm -hmm. this this one has to be covered so (laughs) at first this scene with with Negan and Milo sitting there I wasn't concerned at all when he first spoke to him you know I thought that they had this nice little rapport going and obviously with his sort of history pre-apocalypse he's used to being around kids but Mm -hmm. um I sort of didn't think he had any ill intent. But then when the, the nut tapping came up, oh God, I started yeah. feeling a little bit sick, like, oh, my God, this is getting really horrible. Yep. Someone called child services. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then then it kind of remained fairly harmless and mm-hmm. quite blokey. And I don't know, I mean, but this is, is this the stuff that dudes talk about? This is really ironic that Jason decided this would be an all-women <laughs> podcast for this episode when the nut tapping comes up. But It's because he's actually you know, out nut tapping at the moment with his boys, so, you know. <laughs> maybe it's just a thing maybe this is how dudes um you know bond that's all good and it did turn out okay and I think it was very nicely done but for a while there I was pretty nervous um also in that scene I thought one thing to point out that was interesting between Negan and Milo was the uh, I feel like it might have been the first time that Negan mentions his wife Lucille rather than his bat Lucille Mm. without any sort of drama or big deal being made out of it and he mentioned her sort of wistfully and mm-hmm. um you know with this sense of kind of sadness but fondness yeah. uh, yeah. that just it was quite amazing and I think that really humanized Negan you know we know his backstory and we mm-hmm. know that his bat was named after his wife all that stuff but quite interesting that he was able to just bring up this memory and chat with this kid and it not be a big deal I think that's such a good point and I think you're right I think it's we've seen him talk about her to Gabe and I think maybe in passing to Maggie during that confrontation but mm-hmm. always in these kind of heightened drama moments and it's certainly yeah. the first time in a while since his kind of redemption arc that he has mentioned her and you got the feeling he was just thinking about his wife rather than the bat although for a moment I was thinking about him taking his bat on a plane and I was like well obviously the bat won't eat the stroganoff <laughs> it's a bat but then I realized I was like oh no it's his wife um, and you usually can't take barbed wire wrapped baseball bats on planes, even pre apocalypse. No, pre apocalypse it was frowned upon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> frowned upon at the very least. Uh, having seen people get pulled over for, you know, nail clippers, yeah, it's understandable. <laughs> yeah. I, the only other thing about that scene, because um, I'll get more into Negan in general later, mm. but uh, I thought it was nicely done and I really liked. He's telling Milo all about pre-apocalypse, and it was interesting to meet a kid who's been born since the apocalypse. Oh, you know, obviously we've got so Judith, but this yeah. is a fresh character. And, you know, he's he's chatting away to him, and there's quite a few things that Megan says that, are, you know, he's explaining what a, what a pilot is and what a plane mm-hmm. is, and that's cool because he realizes that Milo doesn't know all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But then a couple of other little bits and pieces he says in that conversation that Milo just smiles and nods. He doesn't know what the hell Megan's talking about when he says, oh, you could um, – you could be in the Hall of Fame for nut tapping. Well, he probably yeah. doesn't know what the Hall of Fame is. You no. won't need to take any roids. He doesn't know what roids are. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, quite cute. It's funny. Um, we were talking a little before we went live on air there about Lord of the Rings because Anwen's got so many cool Lord of the Rings stories. And um, one of the things I was laughing about the other weekend when we watched The Two Towers um, was there's a scene where one of the 
Urukai or one of the orcs says looks like meat's back on the menu. And there's been this whole discourse <laughs> online about like, but this must mean that orcs have restaurants. Like, how do they know what a menu is if they don't have a restaurant? And it reminds me really strongly of that kind of having no concept of something at all. So yeah, when he's saying things like co-pilot and hall of fame, this kid's just like, I, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. <laughs> like, I, I genuinely don't know. Please don't hit me in the nuts. <laughs> yeah, and it was cute, but it was also a little bit sad when you really think about it a bit deeper yeah. that here's a kid who was born in the apocalypse, has been um, obviously gone around with his mum, survived together, but m- must have been with different groups or different areas. Yeah. And here's this role model who who pops up who seems really nice, this, this guy who's saying this stuff, and he's just smiling and nodding because he likes being talked to, I think, and it's yeah. really sad. It's so sad. It's such an interesting scene because it got mentioned in at least two or three of the reviews that I read this week and some were really harsh on it. Some were like, this is the low point of the episode. Like, it's all fine until he starts talking about nut tapping. And then some others were like, ah, you know, it's humanising, it's a bit awkward, blah, blah, blah. And I've kind of swung both ways on it. I think what it comes down to is that Negan's trying super hard, but he's a man who A, hasn't been around, like, socialized humans in a while he's been treated Uh like an absolute outsider and he also although he loved kids and has good relationships with them he never actually had any of his own and that isn't a huge sweeping judgment against people who don't have children i'm like everyone who doesn't have a child doesn't know how to talk to children that's not what i mean it's more about him gauging it i think he's maybe a bit like is this you know it's it's maybe a bit of a mess to be talking about not tapping you know but i think at the end of the day having a grown man say something like meaty sausage fingers <laughs> to a young boy <laughs> in reference to his nuts being out it's, it's always going to be a bit like cringe at points like that so yeah Negan it was maybe not your finest moment but it did come I think the the picture he conjures up of the the plane taking off and the genuine compassion I think he feels for this boy not knowing things like that you know all the things that he's going to miss out on I felt like that was a really kind of strong beat from Jeffrey Dean Morgan, and he did sell it. Like I can, I entirely buy that Negan would try the not tapping speech. Like I can completely buy that from him. That is like a normal thing to say to someone. But yeah, it is as an audience member, you are like, oh, oh no, oh, um, no, no, not okay, not the children, Negan, never the children. Like <laughs> <laughs> moments like that, but um. What you were saying about the kind of life before the apocalypse is interesting because what I've got as my number five is actually something Ezekiel mentions, which is sort of the age of sorcery and magic of healthcare before the apocalypse. And combined with Negan's image of the plane taking off, you do get this sense of like, we're in the new normal, but there are some things that we cannot replicate unless you're in Fear of the Walking Dead and you put a plane back together, but it's not worth it, guys. Um, <laughs> but there are some things that are just out with the ken of these groups. Like They're, they're not going to be able necessarily to fly a Boeing 747 again. They're not going to be able to do you know, radiography or chemotherapy or radiation treatments. Like These are things that just aren't possible anymore. And I think Ezekiel hits it on the head when he says it is like witchcraft. Um, and it is taking medicine, which must be particularly frustrating, and transport back to absolute basics. And it must be a real struggle for those who remember it being different. Um, whereas for someone like Milo, it's trying to 
it's it's an orc trying to think of a menu, isn't it? It's like it's not a concept that we have really. It's I've I'd, I've never been on a plane. Someone's told me about it, but it seems like magic. I don't know how to how to actually conceive of what you're telling me. And it was you know it was kind of a sweet moment. I think in that sense. Exactly. Yeah, and and I love it when they do that because they've built this world so well for us that every week we just go along with the story. But those reminders about how a lot of those big things have changed forever. Yeah. I love it when they drop those in. Yeah. And I also loved that Negan was just straight with Milo about Brandon. He's like, look, I'll be honest with you. I told Brandon to go away because he's horrible. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, pretty, pretty, pretty accurate, Negan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I felt there was a lot of genuine affection there with what Negan was saying. And I did, I kind of loved that it was so awkward and so just like, oh God, please don't, please don't creepy Uncle Negan. I don't want to talk about not tapping. Like it was such macho bravado that it just rang really hollow. Um, yeah, it was interesting. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I've kind of done my number four. It was really about the n- number five, sorry, uh, with Ezekiel. Um, I don't really have much more to say on that. It's just, it's such an interesting dynamic. And I wondered if we were ever going to go down this road with the the main show with The Walking Dead of what happens when... I don't know, people's eyesight and hearing get bad, people get cancer, people get diseases that suddenly become death sentences. Like we see it a little bit with the pregnancies, you know, childbirth becomes more risky um, because we're no longer in those times of sorcery and witchcraft. I wasn't hugely (laughs) confident in Sadiq's uh, immediate reaction to the cancer diagnosis being hypnosis. I was like, ah! (laughs) I was like, I don't know that that's maybe... But at the same time, I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, what do you have to go on? You can't... It's a very delicate surgery. You can't do that. He's no idea of, you know, how long he's got left. It's probably going to be quite painful. Like, it was quite a moment of solidarity and humanity in the midst of these, like, massive issues and I quite enjoyed seeing the two of them talk it out together and uh, Ezekiel gives a mean hand slap when he doesn't want to be touched (laughs) sure does that was quite shocking wasn't it it was really sudden um I was quite amazed With, with the hypnotherapy I kind of took it to mean he says we can manage this and I took it to mean manage symptoms so rather yes, than yeah. trying any kind of healing or, or um, recovery or whatever I think he, he really meant managing the symptoms and how it feels because yeah. obviously there's a there's an end point and that's going to be it but absolutely uh, yeah and it was nice that they drew the parallel with the PTSD of kind of ways of dealing with trauma and pain and how we how we can do that in a world where you can't pop a diazepam or you know Speaking as someone who frequently does that when on planes, because despite Negan's description, I do not enjoy flying. Um, it's uh-huh. you know it's a different kettle of fish altogether, and I like that. I liked having a scene between these two quite serious characters, or at least of late Ezekiel's being quite serious. Um, and it was nice to see the two of them kind of have this moment of quiet together, and kind of the reference to Henry with the forged tiger, and just a few things clicking into place about why Ezekiel has been behaving the way he has and that sense of foreboding that he must have. In some ways, I think we, um, Jason and I spoke last week or the week before about it being quite a quick turnaround for Ezekiel to go from being, you know, feeling pretty optimistic to suddenly being potentially suicidal. But when you add the extra factor of he's realised that he's sick, he knows what it is because it's a genetic or hereditary thing, it maybe makes a bit more sense that he would suddenly take that turn into being completely despondent. 
Exactly. And I think also along those lines with Ezekiel, that he, I don't think he was always 100% yet I smile. I think that's a lot of that was a cover or a mask, you know, maybe, maybe whatever percentage, he might've been 80% with that and then 20% covering for some negative feelings. And so it's not that he suddenly went from one to the other. It's that everyone's complex. And I think he probably had some layers in there as well. Oh, absolutely. Um, Yeah. I like what you said about Ezekiel and Sadiq, and, and I, I've got part of that for one of my other topics, so I'll just continue with that now because he's, um, that's that's pretty pretty um, relevant, really. I think uh, what what we you know what we learn about him, like you're saying, it's it's a knife edge survival, this post apocalyptic world, and it can just take one thing that might be traumatic, but not the end of your life mm. here in this world, but in this world in the post apocalyptic space, it is just. Yeah, it's it's the end, and it's mm-hmm. and it's huge. I really liked the interaction as well, and I loved how they were sort of joking, and then like you say, that slap all of a sudden, Oof. Ezekiel yeah. gets defensive, and it was it was a really quiet, sad scene, and and I loved Sadiq finally mentioning his condition. You know, I've seen mm-hmm. a lot of talk about why isn't anybody addressing this? Yeah, um, this <laughs> shaky, Sadiq's just not like coping. screaming in the corner, like ah, yeah. they're like. In a minute, like it's fine. Like Sadiq is literally sweating and rocking in the corner, and no one's really paying any attention. <laughs> Everyone's so like, I love that he mentioned nice, it. It yeah. was that was great, and I I also think it would be great instead of making a really big deal out of it. That if they do sort of keep it at this at this kind of level or tone, where they all just quietly get on with life and they acknowledge it and be there for him, sort of like Dante is and now like Ezekiel is going to be. Yeah. Rather than make it a massive, huge deal and everything's going to fall apart and people are going yeah. to die because he's having a, a problem, mm-hmm. I think it would be really nice in terms of how to deal with mental health as if people yeah. just took it on board and make that be part of him. I think that would Absolutely. be a really nice statement. I think it would be wonderful. I think there was, there was two things that sprang to mind there. Um, in the Jay Bonensinga, Bonsoninga, I never say that right. I'm so sorry for my pronunciation there. Um, in his Walking Dead novels, so the ones that are set in the kind of governor timeline, one of the characters, uh, Lily, deals a little bit with her own mental health. She talks about having had anxiety before the apocalypse and suddenly having to live in this world where the usual safety nets aren't there. And it's, it is an interesting thing to think about. Like I always think about like what i mean knowing me within a day of the zombie apocalypse i would break my glasses and then you know i don't have you know i'm not gonna be able to get my prescription and that's the only reason in the world ladies and gentlemen that i might get lasik because i like (laughs) it would be an investment for the zombie apocalypse but yeah it's interesting and i think the idea of keeping trying to treat sadiq's condition with the respect that it's due rather than making it a like you say a kind of plot device or a, a big sort of tragedy waiting Source to happen of drama. kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. I think that that's really interesting. And of course, we saw at the end Ezekiel struggling with whether or not to tell Carol. And I would really like it if he just told her and they could just deal with it rather than it being a, a withheld thing. But I guess, actually, I wanted to ask your opinion. Do you think there's a Hippocratic Oath in the zombie apocalypse? Will Sadiq tell Carol for Ezekiel or will he keep it quiet? Uh, yeah. Um, I don't know. I think doctors... Doctors stay doctors at heart, and I, yeah. I feel like there would still be that integrity there. Um, I had that moment too when they're sitting there and they do the, sweet, the sneaky switch, and 
uh, Ezekiel was sitting down and getting ready to talk to Carol. Mm-hmm. And I said out loud, don't chicken out, just yep. before he switched the switch off. Oh, oh it's it just, awful. It was so <laughs> sad. It was so heartbreaking because you know that if she knew that, mm-hmm. you know, that they'd come together, you know, of sorts, probably just as friends. But, you know, it's like anything, anybody who's been important in your life, yeah. it doesn't matter what happens when you have a diagnosis like that, you want to you know, make amends or have time together or whatever. So yeah. it was really sad to me that he just switched that off. Oh, I hope that that, you know, I hope that they get some kind of resolution in between now and then. I do wonder if we're headed for an Ezekiel noble sacrifice, though. Um, yeah. you know, I'm just oh poor guy. Uh, Carrie Payton's playing it really well. He's got a hell of a range as an actor, you know, to take us from the the persona that was Ezekiel at the start to this kind of person who's really struggling at this point. I just think that's an incredible range that he shows in terms of his portrayal. He's amazing, isn't he? Mm. Um, what was your number four? Okay, so my number four is the use of sound and silence in this Ooh, episode. Oh, nice. And it was great because I noticed it the first time. So no, so we watch, uh, my husband and I watch the show on our TV and it's um, quite a nice big TV, but it's not very new. So mm-hmm. it's not high def and the sound's okay, but not amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this, I did notice the sound and the silence in the first time I, I watched it. The second time I watched it, I watch it on my iPad with headphones mm-hmm. and that was amazing. And right from the beginning, so you've got Kelly in the forest mm-hmm. and she's running along and then this ringing starts. And I had to ask my husband if he could hear the ringing because right? it was so insidious the way it starts. <laughs> and it was so piercing. And as you know, Lucy and some people might know, I had a, a head injury five months ago and I've still yeah. got a few remaining symptoms. Ringing wasn't one of them, but it's that kind of straight into your brain sound that mm-hmm. kind of freaks me out a little bit. Absolutely. <laughs> And so I could hear this ring and I said, can you hear it? Can you hear it? And yeah, okay, it's real. It's on the show. And again, when I when I listened uh, with the headphones, it was incredible. It was so well done. It was so it started mm. so slow and then built up and it was really gave you the same feeling that you would have if you were in that situation. Yeah. Um, I thought the scene was really well directed with such a good sense of panic and disorientation. Mm-hmm. So you had the visuals as well as the sound. Mm-hmm. And then – when she, when Kelly goes to shoot the the wild boar with oh, the slingshot, yeah. the sound of the slingshot and the stone traveling through the air was amazing. It was so and good. And then the wild boar, the breathing of the boar oh, was incredible. Oh, it was um, so powerfully visceral. It was oh. amazing. And then I loved the 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 zombie footsteps approaching her once she falls down. It was this echoing kind of thump that was mm-hmm. just really terrifying. And so that scene was was really great. And then one of the other things I loved about it was Daryl and Connie. So I love how they've kind of evolved for Daryl to be using this mixture of sign and writing. It's so and great, right? <laughs> it's really awesome. And it shows a bit of a development. And what I love about it is that some other shows uh, might have shown him with his sign language book in his pocket last week or mm-hmm. the week before or whatever, and then suddenly he's fluent. And that's just yeah. lazy to me. Yeah. Lazy writing, and this was really strong, I thought. And, you, you know, he, they've got this great chemistry. Mm-hmm. And whether it's a slow burn to a romantic thing or whether it is just friendship, I just think it's it's such a beautiful connection and so nice to watch. And I just loved how how they showed that and they showed the communication and, and mm-hmm. when each of them could understand each other. And then in one of the final scenes together, when she goes to write something down and he goes, no, 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 I get it. Yeah. And 
I just love that. It was really heartwarming and, and really beautiful to watch. And I, I tell you what, this show is really making me want to learn sign. It's such a oh, beautiful language to, it must to look be at. You know, such an important skill to have. And um, my mom works with, or for a while worked with people with sensory impairments, and she did a little bit of sign language, and it's so interesting. Like I would love to be able to do that because in some ways it would be a huge advantage in zombie apocalypse to be able like you see that with the magna yumiko connie kelly luke group they're able to communicate without sound and it's like uh like connie says it's a goddamn superpower but for kelly to have these it seems to me and i could be reading the um the show wrong she's heading for profound hear loss but at this point it's kind of almost like a radio going in and out so she doesn't know when it's going to go when it's going to stay so it can be totally random and that must be terrifying and i think the soundscape really captured that definitely yeah it was so powerful oh the noise of that pig though went right through me oh it was horrible (laughs) (laughs) the other noise that i cannot handle is the uh, foley effects of the whisperers skinning people's faces oh the squelching it's so vile i can't even and i've got quite a high gross tolerance but that noise i'm just like nope 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 nope. oh it was it's funny because i this is the first time i've actually watched with the closed captions on yes um we we in new zealand we now have um the walking dead on free to air tv so we don't have cable here we have various streaming services and things but we have free to air tv um it's there's yeah it's just on tv and you can watch it on demand whenever you want as well obviously and they it's awesome because they drop it at the same time as the u.s so it sort of drops about two or three in the afternoon for us um on our monday which is you know your sunday and uh so it's really cool and you can you can switch on the, the captions which i did for the first time this episode and one of the things that i loved about the captions was the sound effects, so it's great. For, it's really great for the dialogue because a lot of the time you miss it, like especially when you've got Eugene talking or Daryl. It's kind of like, well, I, I got about half of what you're saying, but yeah, <laughs> the, the dialogue's great to have a little help there. But what I love is that uh, I wrote down a few of them uh, when they're skinning the face. It's like you see the flesh squelching. Oh, they had a, a really descriptive um, kind of words to describe the music. So they had oh. tense music unsettling music nice. intriguing music <laughs> mournful string music and then at the end when Negan's walking away from the bus gloomy rock music <laughs> I'm just picturing that as an album cover now the back of Negan's silhouette with gloomy rock music written <laughs> exactly I thought it was so funny and it's I think it's great that the captions are there for people who want them or need them um, I think if I watched them with that all the time, especially on the first viewing, I would find it distracting because I have a little giggle every time they have this really powerful descriptive. Um, yeah, <laughs> I always laugh when it's text. like Daryl sighs, Daryl sighs heavily, Daryl sighs. I'm just like, so he's sighing a lot. Then like, Daryl sighs mournfully. Yeah, it's like look at all these instructions that Norman Reedus is getting. It's so it's so powerful though. I was watching this episode and I was thinking. A, about the hearing loss scenes and the scenes between Connie and Kelly and how powerful they are. And I was thinking about Sadiq and King Ezekiel having this conversation. And I was thinking way back to season one, this show is so much more diverse now than it was back then. Like the kind of diversity of people, diversity of, you know, abilities, the intersectionality that it shows are really great. Like given, you know, that we started off with a primarily white cast aside from Glenn and T-Dog, a very worrying habit of just killing off the the African-American men, 
you know willy-nilly because like <laughs> they just mm-hmm. seemed to you know we couldn't have two at the same time like one had to go i just think <sighs> the show has done a much better job in recent years of of evening that out and i felt it really strongly with this episode in particular i was like this is really bringing that kind of new era of the walking dead to the fore and showing that it can actually reflect society as it is not as tv would have us believe it is back in 2009 or 10 10 that it started 2010 um yeah so that was that was interesting and i totally agree that the the sound in this was just incredible i love that i don't know how they do the effect but it feels like you've gone underwater or your ears have suddenly popped um that they do when kelly's losing her hearing it's like this kind of like almost like a noise and you suddenly can't hear as clearly it's so powerful and so disorientating it um, works really well, doesn't oh, it? It, it really so gives you well. that sense of what it would be like. Mm-hmm. 100%. And Daryl's mix of signing and speech is just perfect. And I loved seeing Daryl get excited about communicating something because so often with Daryl, it feels like people have to draw dialogue from him because he's quite mm-hmm. taciturn and he doesn't like to speak. This is the first time I think I've seen him like excitedly telling a story and it was quite endearing because it was pretty in character for Daryl to think that was a hilarious story. I mean, it was quite Yeah, funny. and... He was really animated and I think that some of it was his eagerness to communicate with Connie, but also that it's almost that kind of he's learning to sign, so he's sort of over-exaggerating. So the, yeah. the action that he's showing for fishing, and I don't even know if that's, that is official sign language for fishing, but yeah. everyone gets the whole move, but he does it massive and then he does the lake massive and then, yeah. you know, even when he said saved his life, he, he does the movements really big and, and it's yeah. exaggerated and he's sort of like he's getting carried away because he's so enthusiastic and it was really nice to see. It was just really nice. And, you know, Dog, as usual, scene stealer. Dog did really well. We heard Dog uh, breathing heavily at one point. I think that was a a highlight (laughs) of the episode. But I was thinking, you know, Dog's kind of an asset in a situation like that of searching for someone. You know, Dog being able to find Kelly. And I did wonder to myself if there's use for an assistance dog if you're hearing impaired. I know, you know, guide dogs are famously used for people who um, have problems with their vision. And I know Mm -hmm. that assistance pets and assistance animals are, are kind of expanding now so i wondered if there was any room for you know would a dog be helpful to you in that situation my instinct is yes for sure yeah i guess the training wouldn't be as intensive as it would be now or maybe it would be more intensive on the job training (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) um what did you think about magna and kelly being the ones stealing supplies (sighs) yeah um interesting so are they stealing them to uh, eventually make their own way out because Magnus sort of always had that as a backup plan. I know she's always yeah. talked about about doing that. I felt that they were pretty well ensconced there at Hilltop and that they were Same. permanent residents. Yeah. So it's interesting and I wonder whether that's going to come up in terms of what their actual plan was. Um, I thought it was a, a really well done scene with the dynamics between the four of them there when they find yeah. the stash and also bringing it back. Yeah. Uh, and I just thought Actually, when they got back into Hilltop, I thought they should be glad that Maggie's not there because they'd probably be strung up um, for that. Yeah, <laughs> Maggie absolutely. was still in charge. It's, it's a big um, offence. It's a it's life or death offence, really. You know, for the rest of the of the people when they've got sick kids and they've got everybody's hungry. So yeah. I'm going to be really interested to see how it pans out. What did you think? It was interesting for me. I've written down Magnus got one foot out the door already, and it seems really like Magnus disengaging with. A lot of the things around her at this point um it was interesting because it kind of parallels a little with things that rick had done in the past but with rick it was usually keeping a gun somewhere or keeping weapons nearby mm. um it didn't tend to be sort of food and supplies 
it yeah it's interesting i don't i don't see them as sinister characters um but it is a pretty big thing to do and it is a not great thing to do and i think uh yumiko is definitely very unimpressed that that happened um mm. although i think it sounds like magna's got form for it um and magna says that the last time it was a good idea so again a little flash there into their lives before the apocalypse um mm. or during before we meet them in the apocalypse so yeah interesting a lot to think about i was surprised it was them yeah i was too yeah, I love it when it, when the show can surprise you. I think I was most surprised that it was Kelly and Magna working together because they're two characters who I see together as part of the group, but it interested me that the two of them were both ready to go. It wasn't just a, a Magna on her own kind of thing. So yeah, I'd like to know more backstory to that, I think. Yeah. Yeah, so was that your number four? That was my four, Use of Sound and Silence. I will go... I will take what we were saying about the, the food getting stolen and go to Unease at Hilltop because I think Hilltop, there is some bad stuff brewing at Hilltop. Alexandria has been kind of distracted with Lydia uh, and with Negan to an extent, but at Hilltop there is this real sense that people are heading for a rash decision, especially Earl and Alden. Um, Alden, I can't decide if he is playing it cool for a long-term plan or if he's genuinely trying to be more peaceful it's hard to tell but i think earl is looking for blood and i think he's going to pull alden into that with him um i like yumiko seems to be a bit of a natural leader which i like um and i like the kind of back and forth about someone has to stay and deal with the plumbing i think the way that they sowed the seeds of paranoia with the things getting stolen from the cellar and things going missing i thought that was really interesting because it's things like that that will spread discontent amidst a community um and things like magna not being in her correct position although that was probably a lie now that we know that she was the one stealing the food um i love the aerial shots of hilltop showing the kind of horse training area and just what a nice society hilltop is and i think that really highlights kind of what's at stake here because it seems that hilltop's on a knife edge they've lost a lot and they are out well at least some of them are out to get the people who took it from them um i just felt you know i really felt for adam and adam well to be fair adam the baby did also lose his adopted mom um i really felt for alden and earl in this scene because they both lost the person that they loved at the hands of the whisperers and yeah it was it was interesting and to see these fractions with the groups and kind of eugene is there you know he's not going back to alexandria this kind of movement between them it's just a really interesting dynamic so yeah trouble at hilltop i think is on the horizon and i'm intrigued to see if maybe this is to do with maggie's return i don't know maybe she's gonna turn up at some point and sort things out but yeah it was an interesting dynamic and i was intrigued by how quickly magna and yumiko have kind of slipped into these roles of being inside the house and taking charge of things and whatnot so yeah, yeah it was very idea. interesting and, and i think i i do think that this is all leading up slowly to maggie's return because we know that the character's coming back and <clears throat> whether or not it all sort of falls apart and she comes back to pull it back together or whether they sort of get themselves together before that time. It, it is a really good lead up to that. Mm. Uh, and it is interesting. I think, you, you know, you talk about the, the stealing of the, of the supplies and things. That's one thing that would definitely 
create disharmony within a group. Um, and also you have a lot of the things about how you use resources and how people choose and decide what to do. So you've got the tree there and, and um, you know, people are talking about Eugene wants to weave baskets and, uh, you know, Yumiko wants to focus on using it for housing because people are still, there are still people sleeping in tents. So they're wanting yeah. to use a lot of the wood for housing. Uh, but then you've got Alden saying, let's, let's make some more defenses. Let's make catapults. Yeah. And all of those are really good options but you know who decides because you sort of got a council really I guess that you don't have one firm leader at Hilltop anymore and so mm -hmm. there's going to have to be these conversations but it was interesting how Yumiko sort of took the lead on that and just said no we're not doing that now yeah and <laughs> that, that kind of blunt answer is going to make people like Alden and Earl who have lost their loved ones you know team together and make other plans so you mm -hmm. have to be careful when you make yeah. hard decisions about that Absolutely. Um, and, you know, speaking from experience, people do respect a British accent, but only so far, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I do find it funny with Yumiko that sometimes, like, if I'm looking away from the screen and I hear her talking, I'm like, what? You're British? <laughs> Just kind of, yeah. It's an interesting sort of uh, kind of piece of casting there, but it works. I, I have a lot of respect for uh, the actress who plays Yumiko. And, yeah, it's mm -hmm. interesting how this discord is really slowly building up. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing how that plays out. So for yourself, what would your number three be? My number three is Guts and Gore. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's amazing. This show, after 10 years, the, the zombies are scary again. And I don't know whether we got a little bit immune to them or whether they, you know, there was mm -hmm. times where it was just about the people and just about the threat of the people, especially in the whole Saviors era. Mm -hmm. um, the zombies were sort of such background. Now they're really scary again. And the, after 10 years, there's still new ways to creep us out and to oh. gross us out. And I love yep. that. Now, some of them are a little bit gimmicky, but overall I just think this was a really gruesome episode. And there's a few examples. We had Gamma gutting the walker in, into the stream. And I oh, guess she's, vile. you know, the, the idea is that they're trying to poison the water, I guess. Mm -hmm. But, that, you know, she just opens up these guts and they just spill out and you've got that underwater kind oh, of glowing sound as well. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's just gross. You don't really want to be eating, you know, during or just before this episode, I no. think. Um, the zombie kill of the week. This one's just for you, Karen, <laughs> if you're listening. <laughs> the bus door zombie. Oh, oh my god, god. So when Negan squelches that zombie's head in the bus door over and over again and you just keep thinking that's got to be it that's got to yep. be it that's got to be it no they keep going he's done now and it is just <laughs> mush it was amazing it was so well done so gross. um you had the old kind of gimmicky trope that we get sometimes you know how you get a blood splat a splatter on the camera Yes. And this time we actually had the blood completely covering the camera when Negan severs the head of that zombie with the barbed wire. And this is one of those ones that I do feel it's a little bit gimmicky. You know, these guys have got really squishy heads at this point. And he had a yep. stick right there. It was quite pointy. He could have just tapped it lightly and this Z would have been gone. But, yep. of course, there's barbed wire. So this is a cool kind of kill. We'll do the garroshing yep. technique. He grabs it. He twists it around and then pop. Uh, oh, and the blood... Gosh all over the camera and then of course just to top it all off he stomps on it oh my god it's like Negan come on mate <laughs> and it's everywhere yeah it, it was it was really amazing and then of course we had um the I found it interesting to see the fresh zombie so the one that Gamma mm. um 
takes out the one that that tried to go against what Alpha was saying and, and got killed back at the oh, Whisperer camp. And that was and a gruesome death, wasn't Gamma it? Gamma was, walks ooh. into the stream. And what yeah. I thought was really interesting was seeing he's fresh. So all the Zeds that we're seeing at the moment are, you know, maybe five, t- five eight, mm-hmm. nine, whatever, ten years old. Some of them oh, might yeah. be the original Zeds from the beginning of the apocalypse. And they're all deteriorated and they're all desiccated or rotting and bits falling off. And he was quite fresh and it was quite interesting to go back to that again and think, oh, that's how they all looked at the beginning. So I love that they did that and they made that demarcation between him and all the other zombies. Mm, absolutely. I think, and then um, the, the most yeah. gruesome, I think, was the, the human death. You know, we had Brandon there. Oh, oh, Megan finally yeah. killing him at the end and um, so gross and so disturbing. And the most disturbing is that probably most of the audience really wanted that to happen because he was yeah. so hideous. I can I can say that, you know, for the second time in as many weeks, I was not disagreeing with Negan at that point. Exactly. I was really like, mm, yeah, no, he kind of... And, and it was so bit. gruesome and it sort of... It, the, the show has become very, you know, it's, it's always been a violent show, a gruesome and gory show and they show a lot of these things in a graphic way, but again, it's sort of like with the with the zombie horror, being able to still shock us is mm. is good. It's good that we're not so immune to it that it's not gross to us, and I like that. It's it was really gruesome, but I think people were happy that it happened. You know, I agree completely, and it's interesting with Negan because two things kind of sprung to mind. One is it's almost like a caged animal with Negan, like he's been holed up for so long. That expending his energy like that, it's it's almost like watching a an animal who hasn't been able to hunt for a while starting to hunt and and kind of get the feelers back and yeah, yes. it's interesting to see him take it just that little bit too far. The other yeah. thing that it really brought to mind for me with the blood on the camera is the the lineup when Negan, I think it's Abraham, was the first kill that you know was revealed after the the season break, and I think that blood hit the camera when we first meet Negan something that I associate quite strongly with him so to see that come back and I, I just felt there was something about the way that Brandon's death was shot that was like a classic Negan classic Negan classic, um, a cla- Negan. classic Negan a classic Negan kill but much more ugly and much more you know there was something it was hideous but there was something cartoonish about Negan and his bat and, you know, it was out of the comics and it was horrible, disgusting, hyper-violence. But what he does to Brandon is in some ways more disturbing because it's, I don't know, mano a mano. It's like, you know, very up close and personal. But it's shot in quite a similar way in terms of the blood on Negan's face and on the mm. camera. And yeah, it was a brutal one. Not necessarily it was, it was, undeserved, um, but brutal. You know, yeah, exactly. And it was... It was passion. It wasn't, mm. um, uh, this is a measured kill, one of you must die because this is the rules. Yeah. It was heat of the moment, this is what is happening now because I am so distraught at what you've done that yeah. you have to go. And and I, I I almost think that the look on Negan's face after he'd done that, what you could see of him with the blood slattered all over him, was um, a realisation that that's, you know, that's not who he wants to be. And it's horrible that he had to do that. And yeah. one of the lines that he said earlier when he was speaking to Brandon, when Brandon gets start, starting on that whole rant about, oh, I heard what you did to Carl and all this stuff. Oh, God. And yeah. when Megan says, I don't, I would never kill children. Yeah. 
And then when he did this with Brandon, I was kind of like, it's gray areas. Is Brandon still a child? You know, yeah. he's maybe he's he was a kid when the apocalypse started. Maybe yeah. he's 16, 17, 18. It's a gray area and, and probably not very different to the age that Carl was when they lost Carl. Absolutely. And so for, for Negan to have had to kill him when he'd said that line too, this yeah. very character was really moving. Oh, definitely. It was so, it, I just feel like a bit of Negan died there. Like, I think, like, there's a bit of him that's just, not to sound like Aaron and, like, he's so far gone, but, like, I feel like at that particular moment, something has just changed. Like, that was just brutal, really brutal um, on all fronts in terms of what Brandon had done to the family and what Negan did to Brandon is just, ugh, not nice. Not family viewing, guys. Mm. <laughs> like, um, So... For my number, am I on my number three? I'm on my number yeah. three. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about Gamma. Um, now that we've spoken about the lovely entrails in the water, which was disgusting, by the <laughs> way. <laughs> um, Gamma's interesting because Thora Birch is not someone you cast for a small bit part who's not going to be in it for long i don't think this is where they prove me wrong and next week it's like within the first two minutes gamma is killed i'm like oh oh well take back what i said so i'm interested to see what they do with gamma because it seemed to me that they were playing with a couple of things they're playing with double crossing so i'm actually a little suspicious of aaron at this point because aaron's reaching out to gamma but what we've seen of aaron recently isn't you know, the reaching out peacekeeper that he once was. So is Aaron up to something in the same way that the Whisperers are up to something? Is he looking for a, I don't know, a hostage? I mean, I doubt that would work. Does he want to reveal... I mean, this was something I thought about quite seriously. Alpha's... By the end of the episode, Alpha is talking about putting Gamma in undercover. She talks about masks we wear and how the man with the metal arm may yet be useful. You know, he might be quite useful for them. Gamma's gonna see that Lydia's alive and there's something about Gamma and Alpha's dynamic you see in the flashbacks where Gamma says you know she she says in the present day actually it's not in a flashback your sacrifice was much greater which I think is talking about Lydia and we also see within the way that Gamma is going around um slaughtering zeds and she's not in a great place she's not necessarily team alpha at the moment and that's another kind of interesting thing to think about because are we looking at a double cross are we looking at a we don't know which way this is going to go who's gamma playing for who's where are her loyalties um so i'm intrigued to see the reveal to gamma that lydia is still alive but i don't believe that alpha wouldn't have thought of that like that to me is is an oversight on Alpha's part if she doesn't realise that sending Gamma out there is exposing the risk of seeing that Lydia is still alive and with them. Um, and maybe it's a it's a location thing. I mean, maybe she's going to give her specific instructions. She's not going to be going into one of the communities, but is going to be meeting Aaron on on neutral ground and you know getting I don't know getting help from him or information or something. Yeah, um, yeah. It is a risk, and you would have thought that that she might have thought of that, but. It's interesting because, like you say, it's unclear from both of their parts, and and Gamma could very well, you know, she she was there with her sister, and it was her sister who was saying, "Let's go and join one of these other communities." There might be still a little part of her that thinks that could work, yeah. And especially if she sees what the what what is on offer there, absolutely. Um, but she just seems so unhinged that you know you you could go any any way with her, 
And I did wonder the same about Aaron because, especially on the second viewing, what was he doing? You know, because first I thought, hang on, is he in, in Whisperer territory? Because he just seems to always be there when, when yeah. Ben is fossicking around in the <laughs> Hello. <street. laughs> and, um, and then I thought, I realised obviously she's poisoning the water, so she must be going towards their either into their territory or, or yeah. very close to the to the edge of the border. I think, um, yeah, Aaron's out of Aaron. border, is he? Or He's just so. standing there in the in the, uh, in the the undergrowth whenever she happens to be there. And the, the <laughs> speed with which he threw that bandage, it's like, cut, oh, here you go. I'll just grab it straight out of my bag. <laughs> Aaron's just like, I don't have anything better to do. I'm going to hang out with my ex-boyfriend's sword and some bandages and just see what happens. <laughs> like, I'm from Vermont. No one cares. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's no Vermont anymore, people. Yeah, I know. Uh, Aaron, that's irrelevant. Like, no one cares. Um, yeah, it was, it was an interesting kind of dynamic there. Yeah, I think from what I could understand, I think he was at a border because I think we see a couple of borders in this. I think there's like a little bit of wire on that bridge that's a border. And I think Negan and Brandon see some barbed wire that I think marks a border as well. Mm. I, you know, I'm not sticking up for the whispers, but I'm glad they're actually marking their borders because it was very difficult when you didn't know where the borders were. You know, you could accidentally slip over at any point. So well done, whoever coordinated that from the whispers. That was a good thing. They're they're (laughs) psychotic and disturbing, but very fair. Yeah, they're very good at ordnance survey maps. But yeah, um, it's kind of like what is Aaron, what is actually Aaron's game being out yeah. there? You know why it wasn't really clear. You know they obviously have scouting missions or, or hunting or whatever, but you know they talked about um, Kelly and the, the other group being out hunting. But he just he did look like he was more spying or looking out or doing something, mm-hmm. and, and it wasn't made clear. So that is it's going to be interesting how that pans out. Yeah, if it was two seasons ago, I'd be like, oh yeah, Aaron's going to be a mug. He's going to you know take her in. But I'm just like. Mm. They've done quite a good job of making Aaron quite a, an edgy character this season, and I'm just yeah, yeah. I'm intrigued to see how it goes because I don't, I don't know if he would trust as easily. Um, so it'll be an interesting dynamic to see. And Thora Birch, I just, I have forgotten to mention in previous weeks. Thora Birch is just one of my favorite films when I was like a moody student kind of late teens was Ghost World uh, because I just wanted to dress like Thora Birch's character in Ghost World um, and <laughs> in retrospect it's quite a problematic film but she is a bit of an icon and I just want them to use her as much as they can and I'm really excited to see where Gamma goes the the scenes with the Whisperer dynamics are really interesting as well because there's so much discontent there there's discontent about Beta's not happy. Um, the the guy who ends up getting his throat slit is clearly trying to suggest different things. Alpha is just a stone cold. I, I can't think of a polite way of saying that she's a stone cold Fruit Loop. Like she, those eyes are dead. She is yeah. not firing Full on all psycho. cylinders. Full psycho. Like I just, yeah, I can't. I can't even get my head around how well Samantha Morton is playing that. And it's, yeah, it's an interesting dynamic in Gamma. I just, I'm so intrigued to see where she fits. And I just wonder if having done what she did to her sister, if seeing Lydia would be the thing that pushes her over the edge. Um, There's the death of the kind of unnamed whisperer with Alpha, kind of these, it reminded me of sort of death by a thousand cuts, you know, just these little nicks at these vulnerable parts on his body. That was really, really brutal. It was a really disgusting way to go. Um, and the way that the human body is kind of shown to be weak and, and fallible there is really, really intense. And I did love that, you know, people are quite keen to uh, 
protect Alpha. There's a little bit of, you know, you would die before your stroke fell going on here. Um, and Exactly. I yeah. love the legalist reference. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I literally wrote in my notes, you would die before your stroke fell. And I was like, oh yeah, Lord of the Rings. Um, and I just love that Beta's just a really weird bastard. Like he just hangs out in the background. He's like, another guardian taken is another lost. And everyone's just like, why is okay beta cool like thanks for that but we kind of need to get on with our creek plan now so maybe keep it to yourself kind of thing yeah and that, that <laughs> uh, tension between him and gamma you know it's just been the two of them beta and alpha for all this time and then gamma comes along and i love how she just walks past him and he gives her the most evil side eye oh such stinker he he's just like it's no. incredible dead dead to me their masks also look disgusting when they were peeling off gamma's face mask i was just like this is truly disgusting so yeah my number three would be uh, gamma and the whispers uh more broadly but yeah i want to see what happens with gamma and i hope it goes somewhere because of the reasons outlisted above so yeah That's i guess awesome. that takes us into number two territory yeah, so my number two, we've covered a little bit of it, but my number two is um, two interesting pairings. So we covered most of what I wanted to say about Ezekiel and Sadiq. Mm-hmm. So just that really great interaction between them and, you know, talking about his condition and so on. Um, but what one of the things, I guess, that made me choose this alongside my other pairing is that Ezekiel and Sadiq are connecting. You know, they mm-hmm. they may have had interactions before, but this is a real a real moment for them to give something of themselves. Yeah, they'll be really open about their varying conditions, and and obviously, you know, whatever happens going forward, they they probably know more about each other, and it was a connection on that level, and that contrasted really nicely with my other pairing, which is a pairing that is dividing or falling apart, and that's Magna and Yumiko. Oh, Magmiko, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, we've seen a little bit of tension building up over the last few episodes. And, of course, when she said last last week, you're not my lawyer anymore, and everyone went, ooh, backstory, let's hear yep. some more, because that sounds really intriguing. And I, I thought it was just a beautiful scene. It was a really tense. It was great writing. You know, um, she says, my cousin, she was a little girl, oh. and he gets to go on living his life. That's a few words, and it paints this picture. You know what happened without mm-hmm. her having to say it. And if it was another show, I'm looking at you, Fear, they would probably have gone into a long, drawn-out explanation and Magna would have been staring off into the middle distance while she painfully recalls her past and it would have been all very, just a little bit too much. I love how with this show they just use the bare minimum to portray what they need to portray and, uh, you know, that relationship between them, it was really, really interesting. And, you know, one of those kind of, I guess, good examples of, on this show where one group meets another group and you don't know people's background. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. our, our main group met, met this lot of newcomers and they all come in and they all look pretty badass, you know, to have su- survived this long and they might, might have their varying little roles within the group. But you would never have known that Magna was, you know, a criminal apart from the little, you know, we got little snippets in, yeah. in the previous episode. But their, their relationship certainly with her being the lawyer, Yumiko being the lawyer, you wouldn't have known that sort of stuff. You know, everyone's sort of like a, a clean slate, I guess, when, you, when you're meeting in a, in a, um, a post-apocalyptic world. Mm-hmm. And I love how you slowly get to explore that over time. And I guess that's one of the advantages of a show that has multiple seasons with multiple episodes is that you have that time to to really get deep into that character development. Agreed. Completely agreed. I think... Um... It was a powerful scene. Nadia Hilker is is very good at giving minimal words but maximum kind of emotion. She just kind of radiates sort of 
anger and sort of brooding and mm. I love her hair and her face and I think she's amazing <laughs> <laughs> yeah there was one very sad yeah. moment in the woods where uh, her hair had gone flat because of the humidity and I really felt for her um, and <laughs> you gotta look after but no, your curls hey I know I was like but they, they, they just went all flat I was like god nightmare like you go out looking for your friend and your hair's just ruined um <laughs> it's I hadn't realized I so I read a couple of reviews and summaries of this episode in, in prep someone one of the reviews I read, um, a couple actually said that this was Magda confessing to Yumiko that she had actually committed the murder that Yumiko had defended her from. You know, Yumiko says she's innocent. I didn't read it as a confession. I kind of thought that had maybe come up before, but they just didn't like speaking about it. I just, I, I just couldn't buy that for 13 years, 10 of which or 7 of which have been in the zombie apocalypse, that hadn't come up before now and I felt like Yumiko's reaction maybe it could be read either way and you know she says find somewhere else to sleep tonight but the way Magna says you know that look you know we've both killed people and still that look that made me feel like maybe this was a known thing beforehand um I don't know maybe it was just played more realistically maybe it was just played as this is me finally confessing what you kind of suspected already but it was a powerful moment in any case. Um, yeah, I, I agree. It, it was amazing. And I, I'm tending more towards that she has known all along. Because to be honest, I don't know that much about murder trials. But most defence lawyers know exactly what went down. And they just yeah. look at ways to get the person off. So exactly. I, I think it would be very unlikely for her to not know. And I think w when she says, there it is, I don't think she means, there it is, my confession. I think she means, there it is, that look. So she yeah. says, there, there it is. We've all yep. we've both killed lots of people, and there there's the look again. So I, yep. I I definitely think she she already knew about that. I feel like Yumiko is has a good sense of the people around her. Like I think she had a pretty good idea that it might be Magna stealing things before they even turned up again. And I sort of feel like she maybe turns a blind eye to some things, but they are inherently very different people. In fact, I was listening to Jason and Karen's podcast just on my way home there, and. They were talking about in relation to Zombieland, Double Tap, which I'm going to see tonight. I'm super excited. Yeah. Uh, about being thrust together in the zombie apocalypse with people you wouldn't necessarily ever meet in any other situation. Mm. And I'd kind of assumed that Magna and Yumiko were maybe one of those sort of couples. But it seems not. It seems that they were involved beforehand. Like, did Yumiko go and get her out of prison? Like, you know, there's all these things that I want to know now. I kind of want a spin off to find out what went down there because. They're thwarting our assumptions at every point, which is super exciting, but also like, I want to know more. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Um, oh, my, my two and my one are kind of related and I feel like we're heading towards the same spot here. I so think so. going to go out and say it. Fucking Brandon, man. <laughs> what is that? It's a creepy dude. Like, <laughs> how has he lived in Alexandria for six years and nobody has noticed that he is a dead ringer for a young Ted Bundy and that he oh. is also bananas? <laughs> Did oh, it's just disturbing, it. isn't it? He was so good the actor who played him played him so well like to to draw from these like background appearances that he's been having to draw into this full-on he reminded me of norman bates at the end of the original psycho movie that kind of like manic eyes and sort of just completely deranged in terms of oh. how he views the world i loved the idea that he was um 
his dad had been a savior because in the comics it's his dad has been killed quite recently by rick um and that's what drives him mad but i did think about this you know the idea of the kids who were born into a savior life or who were children at that point what their parents tell them there must still be some sympathizers there so it was interesting to have that kind of view of negan curious that he didn't actually let him out so that one's still up in the air so i might renege and put my bet back on carol letting negan out um but that was a nice twist of our expectations as well when he says you're still not going to tell me how you got out of that cell and negan's like get away from me you absolute weirdo or no i think is what he actually says um i think the dynamic with him and negan is just incredible i love the that negan is like willing to suffer an idiot as long as it serves him so he's like you know brandon's going on about like he's so excited that he's barely stopped peeing before he comes around the corner to talk to negan he's just like, <laughs> yeah put your pee like put <laughs> and Negan's just like, do you have some granola or some shit? Like he's just had it. He's just absolutely fed up of it. Um, it's it's interesting the way he talks about Rick and how Negan responds to that. I think he says, "Can't argue that ain't bullshit," and I'm not sure if he means can't argue that what Rick said isn't bullshit, or that he can't argue what Brandon's saying about Rick. Like that's all true. But I've written in my notes. Um, uh oh, don't mention his one true love, Carl. Carl was a saint. He was an angel. And it was that kind of like, Carl seems to be a real sore spot for Negan. And mm. I love the idea that these mythology of Negan has grown. Like, you know, and then you made Rick cut his son's hand off and then you shot him. And this idea of like the legends of what happened all those years ago still living on. Um, It's like all the worst parts of Negan's philosophy distilled into this one horrible twisted individual and i just it really everything about it was so unsettling and disgusting that i kind of loved it that my favorite bit i think was watching negan fight and fight and fight with this zombie and just like well why isn't brandon doing anything and then you turn around and brandon's like i had to wrap your gift and holds up this baseball bat and i was just like felt like a punch in the stomach i was like oh this kid is the worst. Like, what is Such happening? an iconic prop, isn't it? It's just oh. absolutely amazing. And for a second, I thought it was actual Lucille, but I guess he really just got a baseball bat and then he wrapped it in the wire, right? I think so. I think it was the real leather jacket, which is remarkably yeah. well preserved. But I think, yeah, it must be a different bat that he's wrapped. Because I think in the comics, we are going to have a comic talk this episode, guys, so I won't go too far into it. I think in the comics, this would be Lucille 2, because he does have a Lucille 2 right. for a, yeah. a period of time round about now, so I think that that is that. Yeah. Um, Brandon rating the walkers on hotness is just beyond disgusting unhinged isn't he i just just like and i did kind of laugh but hate myself for laughing when negan was like anyway she's clearly a three and i was like oh negan no um i really think negan didn't have a clue what he was doing at that point i think he's like brandon can be useful to me but how you know um and that kind of rolling shout of damn classic negan is just so like what mad negan fans like to shout when things happen and it just it was so interesting to me to see this kind of real life fanboy there with him and negan who's tried so hard to escape classic negan is suddenly like confronted with this kid who just believes everything he says is like you're right absolutely right and and i i agree wholeheartedly and i actually had this written down as part of my number one was 
Negan as urban legend, you know, yeah. and you've got you're seeing him through Brandon's eyes and the stories grow in the telling uh, when all these kids, you know, you, there's, there's this fan worship kind of view. Oh, completely. Because, you know, the teens like to obsess about things. And in this mm-hmm. world, there's no rock stars or actors or YouTubers for them to yeah. idolise. So yeah, exactly. here's Negan. And, and I think that the that what's so disturbing about the way he was, Brandon was with Negan, was that it was all of the disturbing and horrible and bloodthirsty and... Uh, you know, just nasty parts of Negan and the Saviors, but with none of the measured caution that was that would keep them safe. So none of yeah. the rules, none of the guidelines, none of the the things that Negan had in place to maintain whatever twisted society he had. But it, but it worked for him. So you're just seeing this someone someone who's just taking all of those things and just rolling with it and not thinking in a measured way about what that could mean. Yeah. And you know, suddenly we're out on the road and we can do whatever we want. And it's this whole kind of Bonnie and Clyde feel to it that was just really disturbing. And, mm-hmm. you know, Negan had had this moment when, when Brandon's there gushing about how amazing and, and badass Negan is. Yeah. And Negan paused for this beat and he sort of has this look of awareness about who he was and that he sort of isn't that anymore and doesn't mm-hmm. want it. I thought it was really mm-hmm. subtle acting there from JDM. I thought it was really beautifully done. Yeah. And it's sort of confirmed, you know, when Brandon mentions Carl, and that just sends him over the edge. Of course, you don't yep. don't mention Coral. Yeah, and never mentioned Carl. <laughs> at that yeah. moment, I just said, "Oh, Brandon is so dead." I said oh, yeah. it out loud. You never speak Look Carl's name in a vein. Not now, have we? I had a question too, Lucy. Have we? Was is Brandon the one who was sort of um, minding Negan and guarding Negan in some of the other episodes, or was that somebody yes, else? it was. He's been subtly there for a couple of episodes now. Um, and in the last one, when we heard, after Negan had thrown um, the awful bully woman aside, Brandon yeah. appears and you hear someone go like, hey, Brandon, where's Negan? Kind of thing. So you wonder if Brandon was letting Negan, you know, like... Well, yeah, now I wonder whether... He, because in all of those episodes when I saw him just in the background, you know, there was one also when he's gardening, he's sort of like, you know, get yeah. back in line or whatever. I thought, oh, well, he's obviously been assigned as his minder. Yeah. But then part of me now, when I look back, knowing what we know about Brandon now, is did he sort of, you know, get himself into that position or volunteer oh. for that position or even do it unofficially, just I'm going to always be around this dude because I love him yeah. so much. And it's oh, gross. It's, <laughs> he's just the worst. And I think it's the, the creepiest but I think for me is, you know, Negan lays it out for him. He's like, just as long as I don't have to see that pasty, creepy ass face of yours ever again. Like he's cold in that moment. He's like, you know, you are nothing to me. You're shit on my shoe. And you think it's worked. Brandon's like, you're just like all the others. And then kind of storms off. But that moment of foreboding when he comes back to the bus and you just know that something has gone horribly oh. wrong. And it is. it reminds me so much of Lizzie and Mika. And Carol coming back and Lizzie holding Mika and Judith just sitting there. And it's just this moment of abject, like, this is beyond fucked up. And I do wonder that had Lizzie lived, if she and Brandon would raise a happy family together because they seem to be made of the same uh, material. But it's things like, you know, the the whistle just sends a chill through you. Like, it's, it's a really good way of highlighting and reminding us of the horror of what the Negan era was like. And even like, you know, the whistle sends a chill through you. And I love that he never finished his I am Negan. Like he got smacked in the face before he could finish it. I am Negan. 
I am Nick. And Negan's like, no. <laughs> He's like, no, you're not. Um, but it's just so hard because, you know, Negan, that whole thing with, you know, taking them to Hilltop and like, don't tell them I took you. You know, he was going to get them there. I believe mm-hmm. that. And it seemed to give him purpose that he didn't have in the episode before that. And yeah, I just, Brandon was just the worst, but also the best thing about this episode, if that makes sense. Absolutely. I thought it was really powerfully done and captivating, but just horrible to watch at the same time. Yeah. And I guess that goes along with my the rest of my number one, which was actually good versus evil and Ooh. the gray areas, because I talked a lot about Megan already in there and Brandon, but one of the things I really love about how they've um, let the character of Negan grow is what this show has done over the last few years with the character of Negan. And some people are always going to despise him no matter what. There's no redemption, that's it. But I love how they've slowly turned it around for me and for a lot of other viewers, I guess. Um, at first, I detested the character when he was in full Negan mode and you know rolling over over Rick and his gang and had, had them all under his boot. I just, it wasn't just the character and the actions and the things that he did, but the delivery, I just, the, the whole swagger and the pelvic Ugh. thrusting and the phallic yeah. bat waving and all the dick talk was just so cringy to me. I just mm-hmm. despised him. And, you know, that whole, this even the way he spoke, it was all, come on, Rick. And, you know, I just think it was so well done in terms of making us not like this character. Yes. Um, and obviously all the, the, the horrible things that he's done to our, our team. But now, you know, they've, they've had some really great writing, some great dialogue, some great quiet acting moments, and a lot of character development for him over time, over several episodes. And it just sort of makes me think, you know, can people change? And I, I think, yes, they can. Can they mm-hmm. be redeemed? Maybe that, Maybe not. But I'd certainly think that people can make amends. And I think that Negan's out to make amends. And I, I think maybe this that having to kill Brandon and having lost these two new people that he's met might send him a little bit loopy. But I still think that he is going to be aiming to make amends or to redeem in some way for um, Alexandria. I don't think he's just mm-hmm. setting off into the world to do whatever he does. He had the chance to do that already. Mm. And now I think it's more about, you know, we see already by the end of this episode, he's there, he's off to the whispers. So, um, and you I see that think- um, that learning as well. Like he, the last time he was out in the wilderness, he like drank water from the creek and got sick. And you see him kind of when he's looking in the water, he's like, "Well, I could drink this, but I'll probably get sick." Like you know, you see he's exactly. learned. Like despite himself, he has learned things. Yeah, you know. And I think I think it's natural as as viewers, and I think it's also a nice parallel to what happens in this show. Is that you know we're humans and we have to put people in categories. It's our nature. Yeah. It's an evolutionary survival technique. Is this person us or other? You know, are they are they protection to me or are they danger? And I think mm. since we were back in, in caves, um, you know, that's what you had to do. You had to suss people out and you probably had to suss them out really quickly to know whether they were going to be a danger to you and your and your tribe or whether they were going to be a help. And mm. I think that that evolutionary development has not changed in humans now and I think we do like to put people in categories and we do like to often make judgments that can be changed but often they're made quite quickly Mm -hmm. and I think in the post-apocalyptic world you have this happening to a much more heightened degree it's the Mm -hmm. old the old way of living is that any person that you meet could mean the end of you and so I think that people have to put them on I think that the people of of Alexandria 
uh, are probably divided. We've saw it in the council. You know, uh, um, does does Negan die for what he did to um, to that bully woman? And yeah. uh, you know, people are, are are black and white. He's good or he's bad. And it's I, I love how they've shown us that there's the grey area in between, and they keep us guessing. I just think that's mm-hmm. beautiful writing because yeah, there was a point where I just didn't want to hear the name Negan, and now I am oh, yeah. full team Negan. Yeah, isn't it wild? It's such a weird turn. I think it great because my number one was Negan so this ties in really nicely um I bet Jason never thought I would say that number one (laughs) um one thing I'll say is I think Jeffrey Dean Morgan is an exceptional actor like and I would not have said that two seasons ago because like you the Negan shtick was so caricature and so and to be fair it's a huge role to fill like compared to like showing how he is in the comics his physicality his size like in the comics Negan is stacked like he's built he's like this big bulky guy um and seeing kind of the way I think it was a a fine Negan performance but I think it got tired quickly because it's one note and I'm so glad that they didn't kill him off because I really like seeing what Jeffrey Dean Morgan is doing with this kind of stuff because he's playing it all the shadows of Negan's old charm are there. Like, he does a classic Negan grin at one point that just, you know, he's a handsome dude, but he's creepy as fuck. Like, it's that thing of, like, oh, God, it's the Negan smile. Oh, no. Oh, gross. Disgusting man. Disgusting man. And it's um, it's this funny balance. And I think Jeffrey Dean Morgan's doing more with this quieter material than he did with the bigger, bombastic material that we had from the very, very start. I think... My reading of it is that Negan did not have direction when he left Alexandria. I think he was not sure what he was going to be doing. I think he was at a bit of a loss. I think that bumping into Milo and his mum gave him a direction and something to do. But I think it was kind of a very sort of tragic arc in that everything in this episode seemed to push him back into the Negan mold. So, like, everything he tried to do to break out of it didn't work. It's like, it reminds me of Monty Python and the Holy Grail, uh, not the Holy Grail, uh, Life of Brian, where everyone is convinced that this guy Brian is the Messiah. And it's like, he's the Messiah! You know, he's not the Messiah, he's a very naughty boy kind of thing. And with Negan, it's like, everything he says, Brandon is like, classic Negan, of course Negan would say that. This is a Negan test. And he's like, I don't know how to get out of this this trap like how can i how can i break free of this and there was just basic things like his knife breaks so he's you know he's got this weapon that he doesn't want to use but he's going to end up using that baseball bat again by the end of the episode like that's a certainty and yeah these things that just keep narrowing him down onto this path of the person that he once was i think at the end I know the motivations are slightly different in the comics and I'll leave that for Paik and Cindy to talk about. But it also, it almost, part of me wondered if it was a suicide mission at the end when he swaggers off with his jacket and back. Because it's such an iconic shot of him walking off into the sunset. And my partner who was watching it with me, he was like, oh yeah, he's off to, to get himself killed with the Whisperers. But then another part of me was like, Negan... I don't think Negan now would cross that border and endanger the lives of everyone back in Alexandria for no reason. So part of me thinks that he's actively looking for the Whisperers in order to do something. Um, I could speculate, but I'm not going to because no spoilers. Um, His crossing the border was very interesting because he used old Negan dialogue and old Negan mannerisms and it just sounded weird. And I think it was meant to. 
like having him say that like things like literally that he'd said to Rick like little pig little pig it's it sounds so hollow and strange so seeing him move into that enemy territory in that way was really chilling uh, and also love... interesting because it's that's that's kind of his mask isn't it so he's going yeah. into this place where people wear masks and they Ooh. have this persona he's putting back on i don't think it's yeah. him anymore and that's why it feels weird and i think that's just really bloody good acting he's yeah. putting on his negan mask to yeah. go in and do what has to be done yeah. And it's slightly strained and weird because we haven't seen it for a while, but it's also because it's not him anymore. And I do yeah. think, I firmly believe that he's gone there on purpose for, for redemption. I'm not a comic reader, so I don't know anything yeah. that happens there, but um, I've heard snippets. But I do think that just from what we've seen on screen, that's what he's going to do. Yeah. And I love the all right, you big ass freak, let's do this line. Although there is a more iconic line from the comics that they need to come to, guys. Like, it's got to happen. <laughs> I've heard Brownie it. Brownie make two knives for the win. <laughs> but Can't the wait. use of that whisper theme at the end, I just thought this is a really cool note to close it on. Um, and to see Negan in the comics, it's, it's slightly more pronounced how big Beta is compared to Negan because Negan up to that point has been basically like. Uh, what's the there's a phrase that we say in the UK is built like a brick shit house or something like that but you know that uh -huh. is you know Negan is also built like that so it was always going to be a little different because Jeffrey Dean Morgan I think has lost quite a lot of weight um, mm. or they were bulking him up to be Negan before so seeing him next to Beta was really quite interesting because it's like a normal sized kind of skinny dude next to Ryan Hurst who is enormous um, so while the contrast wasn't quite like Goliath versus bigger Goliath. It was still quite interesting to see these two personalities together. Um, yeah, I'm I'm really really intrigued to see where they take it. I don't know that Negan is ever, you know, fully redeemable, particularly in the way that he he treated women and what he did with his wives. Um, but you can see in this one that he's trying his best. Um, whether or not we get down with forgiving him or not, he is trying. Um, but it seems that the world maybe doesn't have room for him to try at the moment, which is kind of tragic in its own way. Mm. And the foil of him and Brandon was just perfect for this. Just the disgust that he felt for him is is brutal. Um, yeah, I think that's it for me on, on Negan there. Just an interesting kind of place to leave him uh, and to see what happens in terms of going forward and him with the Whisperers. Because I feel like the Whisperers are not going to love him, but, <laughs> you know, who knows? Maybe they'll really like him. Um, it'll be interesting to see him up against someone like Alpha or Beta and how that's going to end. All right. Do we have any notes? Yeah, I had a couple of things. A couple of really little ones. Um, I liked that we got a new zombie name. Um, Milo and his mum called the zombies Hissers, which I thought was yeah, quite cool. I don't Hissers, think I've heard that one sweet, before. Right? It's really cool. And uh, the other thing I noticed in this episode was um, all of the fantastic hipster haircuts and facial hair from all the men. I've, I've been noticing it recently, and <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it's been mentioned before, but you have uh, Alden's got the, the really cool, like, sort of shaven down one side and the parting and then the flip over kind of thing. Yeah. And then Sadiq was rocking that man bun. He looked pretty oh. amazing, I thought. Um, yeah. And then, of course, Aaron's beard. And it's not just this really fantastic full beard. It's that it's that kind of sculpted where it's sort of almost pointy like forward a little bit I just it's thought so with good. the short haircut it's just yep. just top notch 
It's cracking. There was also a guy, the one that comes in from the Kelly search party, I thought, I genuinely thought for a moment that he was wearing, this is going to show my age, so in the 90s or so, boy bands went through a phase of wearing a kind of Kangol hat, which was sort of like, you know what I mean, like a little oh, yeah, flat totally. cap. 100% thought he was wearing one of those, but then I was like, oh no, it's just your haircut. <laughs> I could have been bringing it back in fashion, I don't know. I was like, I mean, if you found one, why not wear it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> And then the only other point that I had was I was a bit confused. Hopefully you can help, Lucy, but um, mm. when Daryl and Sadiq come back into Hilltop and they catch up with Ezekiel and then Daryl and, and Ezekiel have a moment together and Daryl says to Ezekiel, and again, I had to look at the closed captions, he says, you ask about Carol, question mark, and <laughs> Ezekiel says no. And I, I don't know what that means. Does it mean are you going to ask me about Carol or have you asked about Carol? And I didn't really get it. Did you know what was happening? I there? read it as... Do you want to ask about Carol? But it makes me laugh that Daryl's command of English is, You ask about Carol? <laughs> you ask me now about Carol. You ask Carol, yes. And Ezekiel's like, No, man, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's like a bad Monty it. Python accent or something. Yeah, you ask me, yes, no. <laughs> you ask you ask Carol, yes. Um, so, yeah, that was how I read it. But it's, oh my God. I mean, who knows? <laughs> um. I didn't have much more. Um, on the credits, Silence the Whisperers is now on the walls of Hilltop and the Alexandria Windmill, which is cute. I like that they're adding new things in every week. I think Aaron was playing with Jesus' sword, so to speak. Uh, not anymore, because <laughs> Jesus is dead. But um, I think on the when we see him practicing sword play on the bridge, I think that might be Jesus' sword that he's using. Aww. Um, I like that there were spider webs in this. I'm not a spider fan. I'm quite scared of them. But the symbolism of the spider webs near Aaron and, and Gamma and in the start when we see Kelly in nature, that was pretty cool. Um, Rosita's sick, which is interesting. Dante just messages mentions it in passing. Uh, he just says, Rosita's caught some kind of bug. She didn't want me to tell you. I was like, oh. Mm. Uh, I enjoyed a bit of Dante on the radio. I'm I'm a Dante fan. What can I say? Yeah. Uh, we also got a view of Brianna, who we've not seen in a bit. She used to look after Baby Herschel when he was little, and she is not a big comic book character, but she's somebody who who appears. And I have a, I have a real question. It's actually a maths question that I'd like you to help me with. <laughs> so Daryl and Sadiq travel together from Alexandria to Hilltop. Daryl has a motorbike, and Sadiq has a horse. So is Daryl going very slowly on his motorbike to keep up? with Sadiq and the horse or is Sadiq and the horse going really quickly to keep up with Daryl on his motorbike or do they travel just separately but arrive at the same time answers on a postcard because I'm very confused about this <laughs> yeah I was confused and I was also confused by them setting out at night and I thought to myself um okay so you've got a, a motorbike a horse on paved roads and a dog in the middle of night that's going to draw every last dead thing out of the woods yeah. <laughs> what the Literally. hell I mean, he's Daryl. He has his motorbike, man. But I'm also like, come on, guys. This is just silly. Like, go on a horse, Daryl. It's not going to kill you. Like, <laughs> but yeah, I just thought this is, I mean, poor dog has to run all the way. Like, at no point is anyone like, hey, dog, get up on the horse. It's fine. You know, it's, yeah. So I'm confused about the modes of transportation and how they arrive together. But maybe they take it in turns. I don't know. It's just one of those things that struck me as quite amusing. Um, all right. So anything else? That was all for me. Thank you. 
Excellent. Well, we'll take a break. There's more to come. Stay with us. Dear Slim, you still ain't called a row. I hope you have a chance. I ain't mad. I just think it's fucked up you don't answer fans. If you didn't want to talk to me outside the concert, you didn't have to. But you could have signed an autograph for Matthew. That's my little brother, man. He's only six years old. We waited in the blistering cold for you for four hours when you just said no. That's pretty shitty, man. You're like his fucking idol. He wants to be just like you, man. He likes you more than I do. I ain't that mad though, I just don't like being lied to Remember when we met in Denver? You said if I write you, you would write back See, I'm just like you in a way I never knew my father neither He used to always cheat on my mom and beat her I can relate to what you're saying in your songs So when I have a shitty day, I drift away and put them on Cause I don't really got shit else, so that shit helps when I'm depressed I even got a tattoo with your name across the chest Sometimes I even cut myself to see how much it bleeds It's like adrenaline, the pain is such a sudden rush for me See, everything you say is real, and I respect you cause you tell it My girlfriend's jealous cause I talk about you 24-7 But she don't know you like I know you slim, no one does She don't know what it was like for people like us growing up You gotta call me man, I'll be the biggest fan you'll ever lose Sincerely yours, Stan, P.S. We should be together too Obvious threat to untold numbers of citizens The people it kills get up and kill Are they slow moving chief? Yeah, they're dead, they're all messed up This is a Walking Deadcast news update Alright, so moving on to news about The Walking Dead. Our first item comes from Entertainment Weekly interviewing Angela Kang. The interviewers ask, so you gave us some more Magna backstory in this episode. Are we to assume Magna straight up murdered a dude who sexually assaulted her cousin? Is that what went down there? Angela Kang says, yeah, I think in our backstory she murdered somebody and she was in prison for it and it was probably prepping to go to trial and all of that stuff. She's a character that maybe felt from her perspective that there was a greater justice serve and of course there are many sides to any story, so who knows. She went vigilante, so is that great? Not necessarily. And the big thing for her relationship with Yumiko is that there has been a lie at the middle of it all and that's the thing that for Yumiko is so hurtful. Oh, so maybe it was a confession there. Hmm. Um, We learn that Alpha is indeed sabotaging the communities with the tree and the damming up the creek. What's the big picture plan for her? Because they are protecting her daughter as well. Kang says, Alpha is like a cult leader. And so she believes that her philosophy of the world is the only one that makes sense. And I don't think it's just BS from her side. I believe this is what she would actually believe. Sorry, what she actually believes and wants her people to believe. Ultimately, she wants to prove that these communities that she has said, they never last. She would just like to see them fall. But the thing that would really most make her point is if they tear themselves apart or if they seem to fall on their own, and maybe she's hastening it. But ultimately, in her mind, it's all going to come apart. Interesting. Hmm. That sounds like they did intend for Yumiko to not know about Magna. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting isn't it I think as well um, one thing I didn't mention in our main things yes with Alpha she talks about the clever ones leaving the communities and coming to her so I'm like is she looking for people or is she looking for chaos like what will she do to the people who come will she turn them into whispers you know what What's maybe she doesn't even have a plan maybe it's just that psychotic cult leader thing that yeah. you know that we are so amazing that they will be drawn to us I don't know yeah, it could be just a, are- a, a hubris thing we are so cool, they can't help but join us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, next item. The next item is from uprocks.com. With The Walking Dead streaming on Netflix and Fear on Hulu, some may be wondering where the new Walking Dead spin off, due out in the spring of 2020, will end up. The answer is none of the above. 
During an earnings call this week, AMC Network's CEO Josh Sapan revealed that while licensing rights to the series would go to Amazon for international distribution, they would not be licensing it elsewhere domestically. They're keeping it to themselves. So, domestically, we will not sell the SVOD rights to this third Walking Dead series, Sapan said in the call. But rather, the series will be used to fuel our own platforms, both streaming as well as linear, as we window it and take full advantage of the opportunities that it presents to us. In other words, while everyone else is moving towards streaming, AMC hopes to use the third series specifically to beef up cable subscriptions. Um. And when Sapan says they want to use it to fuel their own streaming platforms, he means AMC Premiere, which is a commercial-free version of the channel available for $5 a month. The catch, however, is that in order to receive the cable-free version, one must already have a cable subscription, so there will not be any way to see the spin-off series without subscribing to a cable service. Oh, uh, I'm so bored of subscribing to things. <laughs> and like, I, you know, we were just talking about hubris. I, I, I personally think this is a little bit kind of, you know, if if we build it, they will come, you know. And I yeah. just think that people are so used to streaming services where that you pay a, a small monthly fee and you get a massive amount of content mm-hmm. that, you know, if I don't, you know, are people going to be paying that to, to just get this? I just think it's going to increase torrenting, to be honest. <laughs> it's so difficult. Like the other week, um, I was trying desperately. So we moved obviously from the UK to Canada. And so Netflix changes depending on what country you're in, which I had mm-hmm. realized. But there were some things. There's a show I really love called Crazy Ex-Girlfriend that was available on Netflix in the UK. You cannot get it in Canada. Like come hell or high water it is almost impossible. I've ended up having to subscribe to CBS All Access to get access to it another streaming service that i don't particularly need to be subscribed to you could even it was the first show where like you can't even really buy dvds of it and i just it drives me nuts because our main tv isn't apple tv so buying on itunes is but oh it's just anyway it's starting it feels like the market is getting a bit oversaturated and i feel like i'm with you i think that might be hubristic on amc's part to be like yes People will want a cable subscription now. It's mm, will they though? <laughs> yeah, it's a bit. It's a bit overwhelming. And again, like I said, especially you know here in New Zealand, we have it free to air. But there are shows that are like that that you kind of think, well, you know, we've got a couple of different streaming services, but where's the limit? You know, where do you actually yeah. stop? And yeah, I've, one solution for you, Lucy, might be move to New Zealand because I think that show is on New Zealand Netflix too. So we're probably thoroughly, quite similar to what you guys had in, um, <laughs> in Scotland. Thoroughly recommend it. If you haven't watched it already, it takes a couple of episodes to get into it, but it's one of the smartest comedies I've watched in a while. Um, yeah, it, maybe I will move to New Zealand. I think that, you know, Canada's been great. It's been a good 10 months, but the snow's come and I think it's time to just head to Hobbiton. So I'm <laughs> Um, final news item uh, with a possible spoiler about a Walking Dead character so skip ahead if you don't like spoilers Uh, comicbook.com says artist and former Walking Dead star Emily Kinney confirmed on Sunday that she was involved with an easter egg included in episode 10.5 what it always is at the hilltop when Yumiko approaches Magna she listens to a phonograph the song playing is borrowed from the turtle and the monkey Kinney's just released single in the show, the melody of the turtle and the monkey backs new lyrics performed by a male singer and the voice possibly belongs to Whisperer Beta. The version of Kenny's song depicted in the show sounds suspiciously like Hearst, who's hinted the masked Beta was, set, was a celebrity pre-apocalypse. Hearst's tease came after an episode of Fear the Walking Dead included a suspected easter egg seemingly revealing Beta's true face. In Fear 514, Today and Tomorrow, a spilled pile of country records revealed a look 
at the cowboy hat wearing singer that looks like the bearded Hearst. In Walking Dead 10.5, the voice on Magnus Records sounds like Hearst and the episode's version of the song produced no results on Shazam. Another possible hint comes when the singer of the specially recorded version croons the lyrics, You're hard of hearing when I'm whispering love songs late at night. Matsura, who I think is the actress who plays Yubiko, uh, subsequently hinted on The Talking Dead that the voice on the record is a familiar one. Uh, oh, I like that. That's really I cool. I like that too. I like when they do kind of subtle stuff like that. That's fun. <laughs> and when they take their time with it, you know, we get these little hints dropped over yep. several episodes throughout a season or two. I think that's Absolutely. really cool. Because I think in the, yeah, I've I was going to say, I think, in the comics, but we have comic talk coming, so we'll just leave that leave that there. So we're going to move on now to listener moans, groans, and grunts. Uh, All right. Uh, visitor first. Visitor, guest first, uh, Anwin. Christina Elaine says, I loved this episode, minus creepy Brandon. So sad about the king. And then there's a sad face emoji. And I really enjoyed how Negan's escape is playing out. Tanya Ann Adnoff Rosales says, I loved it. Sean Freeman says, Rick who? I'm loving the eps now without Rick. <gasps> Sean. Uh, Nikki Campbell Keith says, I loved the episode, one of my favourites so far, but the whole nut tapping? That was just weird. Of all the things to miss about the past modern life, that is what he's going to bond with the kid over? I mean, <laughs> you're not wrong. <laughs> exactly right. Jenny Shoot, I really thought the nut-tapping tutorial was going to come back to save Milo's life. <laughs> awesome! Jenny, that's brilliant. Jenny says, I'm glad Negan exploited Brandon's exit. I really hope Negan is working for the good guys. Oh, nut-tapping for the win. That's hilarious. Um, Beth Nichols Morrison says, I love this episode. The final cliffhanger was great, as well as Matt watching Negan go a little mental on Brandon after he killed the mother and kid. I am, however, confused at what brought on the tension between Yumiko and Magna in these last couple of episodes. It feels manufactured for the sake of drama and a possible future storyline. Did I miss something? Oh, Beth, I think that's... I've, I've heard that and I can see where you're coming from. Yeah, I think it's subtle, you know, what they've been what they've been doing with those two and, you know, maybe we'll, we'll know more when they reveal it to us, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Karen Farr. Hi, Karen. Dang it, I so wanted to like this episode, but it fell flat for me. I totally dug Megan's inner battle, but unfortunately could not get past the horrible acting and writing of Brandon's character. The only thing that got me through this episode was Connie and Daryl. I really do enjoy these two characters, friendship, courtship, whatever they are doing here, I approve. I love the term courtship. That's really cute. It's kind of what it is. Um, Des Combs says, The changes made to the Brandon Negan story helped in Kang's quest to make Negan into a redeemable character. I always said that the television audience would have a harder time forgiving Negan than the comic book readers, but the writers and JDM are doing a great job of making him sympathetic. Absolutely on board with you, Des. Yeah, for sure. Agree. David SK says, how, did I miss how Kelly survived when slumped against the tree and the walker stroked her hair? Do I assume Negan saved her? Interesting hmm. question. Yeah. Hmm. I just think it was a little bit of a, um, you know, just a way to up the tension yeah. and then maybe we just didn't see her turn around and stab him. But it Absolutely. was a good little scene transition. That makes sense. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I never thought Kelly was not going to survive, if that makes sense. Um, but it would have been, yeah, it would have been nice to know, I think. 
Um, Elizabeth Nikolaevich says, The dude idolising Negan got on my nerves and he was a conniving little bastard. Tell us how you feel, Elizabeth! Uh, Full-on psychotic and misogyny still surviving even towards women who are walkers. WTF. That dude was an example of the damage living with Negan and Saviors had on an upcoming generation. And it does appear Alpha is playing mind games with our group given her conversation with Gamma blocking the creek. In addition, Doc will just have to operate on Ezekiel. Not impossible. Negan's back in character and meets Beta. Nice, chunky episode. Jeremy Moore says, I have been critical of Negan, but I want to say I loved last night's episode. It was so interesting to see what happens when a cult leader, which is a paradigm that the show has been dealing with a lot lately, comes back down to reality and has to effectively do his own laundry. (laughs) It gave the Negan character a lot more depth than we've seen in the past, and I'm excited to see what happens next. He also, Jeremy, does everyone else's laundry at Alexandria. So yeah, laundry for all. (laughs) Tina Carrari says, Stabby McTwo knives! Say it! Smiley face. Yes! We can't wait. That's brilliant. Pake Allen, hi Pake, says, Really good episode. The second Negan sat down with Milo and started to connect with him, I feared for that kid's life. I remembered Negan telling Brandon I would never kill a kid, and I just knew that Brandon would return to do what Negan couldn't. Also, also with Ezekiel's cancer and Kelly really struggling with her hearing, this episode had a lot of heavy stuff but handled well and really gets me excited to see what comes next. Oh, Pake. Jessica Hawise says, I'm in the middle of watching, but can that save your kid? Shut the fuck up for one second. Well, Jessica, <laughs> you're going to like the ending. <laughs> I love that, Jessica. I love that you just, you, you couldn't even wait for one second to, to quickly send yeah. that in because you're so right. <laughs> he was she's awful. so right. He, could, he couldn't even finish peeing. The boy was cracked, I tell you. Um, so we also have three calls this week. So our first call today comes from Greg Schwamm. Hello, Walking Dead cast. This is Greg. Uh, about what it always is, the uh, the latest Walking Dead episode. So, I have not had such a kind of deep-seated, unsettling reaction to this show uh, from this episode as as I have in a long time. Very specifically, the Grove. Um, Lizzie's character just. And I get it, she was mentally ill and whatnot, but uh, it just kind of filled me with a sense of, of disgust and very much unsettling. Um, and Brandon's character is, it made me feel exactly the same way. Like, Negan bashing people's heads in with baseball bats, okay, you know what? Hey, he's being logical, He maybe he doesn't know that Maggie's pregnant, whatever, the father, whatever the case is, right? And I get it, people hate him for that and all that jazz, but... I mean, just these characters, uh, and maybe it's a maybe it's a, a mental instability, mental. Hey, I've been fucked up because I've grown up in the zombie apocalypse. But oh, good, could not stand the character of Brandon. Don't get me wrong, him fanboying out on Negan was uh, a little bit weird. But uh, but then the the whole hey, it's a test, so I smashed in this kid and her and his mom's or caretaker's heads. With a uh, uh, with a tire iron, because you know I gotta pass the test. Oh God, just fucking hated it. Uh, I thought that it's good television, but ugh, just very just kind of ill thinking about it. Uh, There's some other stuff about like uh, Ezekiel's cancer or whatever it is, tumor, whatever, whatnot. But, uh, like, what really kind of impacted me, which I imagine would be for most people, would be the 
the senseless and useless deaths of a couple of very innocent people, or as innocent as you can be in the zombie apocalypse. All right, talk to you guys later. Bye. Thanks, Greg. Yeah, I, I think you've summed up a, a lot of the feeling that we've talked about and that lots of people are feeling uh, about that episode. That's great. Mm, absolutely. Our next call comes from Steve Brown. Steve Brown. Steve Brown. Hello, Walking Dead cast. This is Steve, and this is for uh, what it always is. I uh, just love that cold open, man. That's, uh, I don't think, have we, we've seen brief glimpses of kind of Kelly's perspective on the world, but we, we, I don't think we've gotten this long of an extensive scene. So that was really, really cool. And I wonder how often she's gone out hunting alone like that, or was this a, just a one time thing to try to prove that she could do it. Um, and did, am I the only one that thought it was a little out of place, Daryl telling a joke there uh, when he and Connie are looking for Kelly and they kind of stop in the middle and he's like, I'm going to tell you this joke. It's a story <laughs> about me and Merle. Uh, it just seemed a little out of place in the episode. But uh, uh, overall, uh, I love this episode. I really like that Sadiq kind of opened up to King Ezekiel there about some of his struggles and what's going on with him. And I can't wait to see more of that or if we get more of that. Uh, it's unfortunate what's happening to King Ezekiel, but I guess uh, we, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's just unfortunate. Uh, we kind of saw that there might be something coming with him, but I don't, mm -hmm. you know, I didn't see it being a disease or illness, thyroid cancer. So uh, it's unfortunate that he, he wasn't, didn't have the strength to tell Carol there yeah. on the walkie at the end, but I'm, I'm sure they will have a conversation at some point before the season is over. All right. Can't wait to hear what you guys thought. Talk to you later. Thanks, Steve. Yay, Steve. Yeah, I think what he said about the joke or that conversation with Daryl, I think it was a nice connection between them, but I, I, I actually did take me to the second watch to realize that he was demonstrating his story about brothers and sisters or, you know, siblings being thinking each other are idiots. And I think yeah. that he was trying to reassure Connie in that moment that she's not an idiot. I'll tell you who's an idiot. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. I think it was a little bit of an illustration, but I didn't really pick that up until the second time, just because the scene itself was quite captivating to watch. It is. I totally agree with you both. I, I, at first glance, I was like, this is thematically a bit off, but I was like, he must have a point. And yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying there about what that point was. Um, well, our final call is from another fantastic lady with a fantastic accent. It's Gemma Hall from the UK. Hey guys, I'm just calling to leave some feedback about um, a recent episode of Walking Dead. Um, oh, so good. Oh my God, I'm, so, I'm smiling so wide. Like at the end, I think Negan just completely unleashed with the leather jacket back on and Lucille and just going for it. I was like, yes, unleashed it, Negan. <laughs> I'm so excited and just excited to see what's going to come of this, like being with the whisperers and like, it's just, oh, I, I just, this episode really made you love Negan. And I'm like, damn you writers, because... I'm like, oh, it's all Miss Glenn, but 
I do, I can't help but like Negan. I have this thing for him, and especially his relationship with kids. And that Brandon guy, it was just, I think they purposely made him an asshole in the entire episode. But I was really sad that he killed the white, the mother and kid because that was unnecessary. But I guess it's what it took to get Negan to unleash himself and, you know, go full throttle with the whisperers. So exciting. And the other bit I liked is Carol, um, Carol, is Daryl and Connie. <laughs> and um, they, I thought they were actually going to kiss at that moment. I got really excited. Yeah, you know, when they were like, and she said that, you, that um, you're my family. That was really mm-hmm. lovely. And um, also, King Ezekiel has cancer. Oh, that's oh. really... I don't know. I see him kind of not dying with cancer, but going out in a blaze of glory and sacrificing himself. So, yeah, a lot in this episode. Really good. I loved it. So, yeah, that's my feedback. And um, I'm looking forward to the podcast. And I'll see you soon. Bye. Oh, Gemma, her accent is amazing. Lucy, I think you should get um, you, Derek and Gemma to do an episode that would be so cool. You've got Wales and Scotland and Ireland together. (laughs) I think it would be the way forward. I would love that so much. Um, I'm entirely on board with that. And I'm glad you mentioned Derek because I was going to say shout out to our friend Derek, who may well be listening to us from the road because he's currently moving countries so yeah Derek friend of the show we are thinking of you you can do it you can unpack all the boxes it's fine (laughs) (laughs) you're gonna be fine um thank you everyone for all that wonderful feedback now for a special treat we do actually have a segment of comic talk for you this week and I'd like to introduce my friends and yours Paik and Cindy who recorded a segment yesterday which I can't wait to hear so take it away for comic talk guys all right, welcome to Comic Talk. Uh, thanks, Alan and Lucy, for letting us do this. And I'm excited we finally got another actual Comic Talk section. I know people have been asking for it. And uh, along with me, I have Petey Sanderson. Hey! <laughs> and I've never actually uh, podcasted with you before. I literally was just going to say that to you. Like, I don't <laughs> think I've ever even spoken to you, so this is super yeah. cool. So it's fun to work together on this. Yeah. So, yeah, let's go ahead and get to comic comparisons with this episode we haven't had a lot this season but finally we're getting something that we're like oh i know what this is so Mm -hmm. you know i'm going ahead and let you start if you've got okay well if my memory serves me right in the comics negan this is the first time that he escapes not the second time yes um and so we don't have the we don't have where he escaped once and he came back um, cause you realize there's nothing out there for him and that mm-hmm. these people weren't so bad and, or he didn't have it so bad there and that kind of stuff. So there's like a softening of Negan that they're doing that they didn't necessarily do in the comics. Cause I remember feeling, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, when he did escape, um, and went after the, to find the whisperers, I didn't know for sure what his intent was. I didn't know if he was going to, you know, eliminate an enemy for Alexandria to be able to say, hey, look what I did for you. I really have changed. You can trust me now. Or was he fed up with Rick and him not trusting him and instead going to go find the Whispers to join up with them against Alexandria? I didn't know, you know, until I was reading it and how it ultimately, you know, transpired. Um, whereas in this case, I feel more because of things that how they've had Negan through the past season and a half, um, 
I feel like that he does still have, you know, kind of like Alexandria's best interest that he's going after the whispers to um, potentially, you know, do his Negan thing, but to eliminate that threat to prove himself to yeah. the Alexandrians. Now I could yeah. still be wrong because yeah, we don't know someone could, up for sure. somebody could make the argument by how they continue to keep treating him that he is just fed up. Yeah, right. For sure. He's... And it's like, they're never going <laughs> to believe me. They're never going to trust me. So why don't I just go do what they all think I'm going to go do? I mean, that could happen. Mm -hmm. I doubt it. Um, and then the other part that, that was strikingly different to me in their softening of Negan is, um, and I don't know if the character's name was the same on the show as in the comic. Do you remember? Was it Brandon? Yes, it was Brandon in the comics. Okay. Well. So, Brandon lets him out. Brandon goes with him or follows him. And once he is safely far enough away and knows he's going in the right direction, he kills Brandon. Yeah. Just cold-blooded kills him. Yeah, it's the big difference between this episode. Yeah. He, you, we still had, in the comics, Negan was not as sympathetic. Nice. Or we had They hadn't, <laughs> ma you know, made us care for him a lot more. You know? Right. So he right. was still just like this asshole guy that, you know, when he got out, Brandon let him out too. We still don't know on right. the show who let him out, but yeah, comic, we don't know on the show if he did. Brandon or not. In the let comic, him he out, did. yeah, and so Brandon is this whole like you know I let you out and that and Negan ended up killing him really just based on the fact that he was annoying, and that's yeah, it. and that and that he <laughs> is kind of it reminded me of the Spencer thing where he uh -huh. you know guts Spencer and it's because like you know Spencer he doesn't like how he is you know how he's even though he was coming to help Negan and turn against Negan's enemy Rick yeah. he didn't like that traitor unloyal sneaky kind of way that he was and yeah he gutted him for that and I think that was the same with Brandon in the comic books like thanks for letting me out but you're kind of a dick for doing that so now I'm gonna kill you yeah and there's um, a whole backstory with Brandon in the comics that they didn't really touch on at all there is a different character because in the show, that's he true. Was, in the show, he was just like the random son of a, a random specified savior. A savior, yeah, that was different. And in the books, he was the son of Tammy Rose, which is a different version of her than in the show, right? And so his mom still did wind up with her head on a pike, but then his dad, Morton Rose, in the comics didn't like the way that Rick was dealing with the fact that the whispers had killed a bunch of their people. And so decided uh, to take yes. it, take it upon himself to attack Rick because he didn't agree with Rick and tried to kill Rick, Rick in retaliation. Uh, see, I forgot about all that part. Yeah. yeah. I forgot all that. Rick ended up killing Brandon's dad in a scuffle. And in so self-defense. So Brandon had this like vendetta against Rick and against alpha. And so that was the reason he let Negan escape. He freed Negan was to take Negan with him to kill Alpha he after, kind of, or like Negan to, was kind warning. of his weapon. Yeah, but then also to <laughs> warn Alpha of Rick's plan of attack so that Rick's plan would be foiled and then Rick would probably yeah. die too. He had this little plan in his head and Negan was just like, no, and killed him. <laughs> Whereas in the show now, we had to have some sort of like buffer yeah. and seeing Negan as this like great almost dad-like figure uh -huh. with the kid from the bus and then Brandon killing them giving reason for Negan to turn yes. and kill Brandon and making us feel as the audience like okay with that 
kill. Yeah. Like, which, oh, I would have killed him too. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. And uh-huh. that in itself, I think, was kind of a comic book reference. Not to the main comic. Oh, yeah? But did you read the uh, Here's Negan series yes. that they also released? Yes. It wasn't as, mu- as much of a direct reference, but I do think they were really, you know, making a t- connection to that. It was because Negan in that was... You know, we realized that he was a, like, school gym coach. Right. And he was very, like, he, and in the show, they've really shown the same way, but he is really good at connecting with kids, and he has a heart and, like, a soft spot for children. And so he's really good in that, but then a lot of the parents didn't like him at the school because of his crassness, and even though he's really good at connecting to the kids, he is still very Mm -hmm. Negan, and so they're like, you know, the way that you talk to them is like, they look up to you, and you're a good mentor in some ways, it's like... But you can't say a lot of the things that you say to them. <laughs> like, that is not appropriate. <laughs> and so you see that in this episode, too, where he has that real good connection with that kid, uh, Milo. But he has mm-hmm. this whole conversation about nut tapping with him, which like, yeah. you shouldn't be talking to some random little kid about that. But but it was kind of a heartwarming moment in itself. Is that a common thing? Because he made it sound like to the kid, like, oh, you haven't heard of this? It's so common. And I have to tell you, I've not heard of this. Well, me being a a guy. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, in junior high and stuff, that was definitely something that went on with me and my friends. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah. Well, that's funny. So what else happened? I really think that was about it was they focused a lot of this episode on, on Brandon. And so they brought that in, but in a different way. Hmm. I was really wondering how they were going to get to this point when he had already left the cell and came back. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, well, all right, how are we going to get to where he leaves the cell again and goes after the whispers? Yeah. Or was it just, you know, a couple episodes ago, um, maybe it was just one episode ago when um, Father Gabriel was making Negan go out with Aaron and his group to fight. Would it just be that, that he'd be with them when they went out and eventually came across the whispers? So I am glad that they're doing this little bit and I hope it follows through to what actually happens in the comics. Yeah. And I think it is on purpose, like you alluded to, you said earlier, where it's giving us more sympathy for Negan because he had those chances. He left on his own, but he came back. He could have abandoned Aaron, killed Aaron and gone off on his own, but instead he saved Aaron and came back. Mm Mm-hmm. So now that he's been let out, and we don't know who let him out this time, because it wasn't Brandon in the show, because I think Brandon said, oh, I heard you escaped, and so I caught up to you. Hmm. So we still don't know, necessarily. Who do you think it is? There's a few. I'm I'm kind of... The theories going around are Carol, which I'm not so sure about, or I wouldn't be surprised if it was Daryl himself. Because he saw that, like, he, he was on Negan's side with that scuffle last episode and then yeah. realized that everybody was still turning against Negan and his vote was the tying vote at that point. So he was like, this could go wrong. Mm. So he might have been the one to let him out himself. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Um, oh, another thing I did want to talk about, and it wasn't necessarily that it came up in this episode, and um, uh, but I think he was in the episode. Dante was in the episode, correct? Just his voice. Just his but voice. Yes, but he was talking to Sadiq over the radio at the end of the episode. Yeah, he's a very kind of different Dante. Oh, yeah. In my opinion, than the Dante from the comics. And I've been waiting for Dante to come. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'm not sure how I feel about him. 
And now that we know that Maggie's going to come back, I'm wondering if they're going to go forward with that storyline or not. Yeah. But so I think I, I'm not sure if I can see it with him. Yeah. So I think at this point, I'll go ahead and give a warning to people listening that okay. we've got a few more things to talk about because we can talk a little bit about Dante and I've got another thing to talk about. But this is where it gets into speculation and further spoilers. It hasn't happened on the show. So if the show goes the route of the comics, then this could be considered really extreme like, spoilers. So, but we can speculate based on what happened in the comics. So we'll start, I guess, with the small one. You're talking about Dante, because in the comics, Dante and Maggie have this kind of rom-com, will-they-won't-they relationship where Dante is very <laughs> into Maggie, and Maggie is not having it, but then also kind of but secretly. But I love it. I love But also their kind banter. of secretly, you can tell that yeah. he's wearing down I on love- her and she likes him. <laughs> I know. I love like his personality and his like, you know, his sarcasm and his overconfident, mm-hmm. you know, just his air about him and that, you know, she does kind of like it, even though she'll tell him off. Yeah. Um, And I'm wondering if they'll do that or not. But yeah. I don't know if I can see it with him, with the character yeah. that they've now brought in with Sadiq. It's almost, know, it almost like... seems like he's. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like he's hitting on Sadiq. And I'm like, yeah. Ah. Is Sadiq by? Like, I don't know. I didn't realize that. Yeah, I don't know if they're going to go that route or not, but that's what I was saying. It seems like that's the relationship we're getting is he's been jokingly flirting with Sadiq and I can't tell if it's just like being goofy or not. Right, right. (laughs) And then was there something else that you were going to bring up that was possibly spoilerly? Uh, Yeah, well, I think me and you talked a little little about it before we started recording. Is we see at the end of this episode, Negan meets up with beta and the whisperers where do what's we he go called from beta? there he called him the jolly green giant but what's he call him in the comics in the comics um something mctwo knives but what's yeah, the first fr- part uh, frowny mctwo knives frowny mctwo knives i love that but there is a moment the jolly green giant line is taken from the comics too about this time because he runs into beta yeah. and he says and he's taken aback by the size and, and you know how intimidating Beta is. Right. Where he goes, "Hey, Jolly Green," and then he doesn't get Giant out before Beta punches him, hits him, mm-hmm. and then he just stops. And he's like, "I can't even finish that joke because I'm so intimidated by you." Like he even says, "He was like, I don't even have words anymore." Like you're a scary <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> he's just so big. Yeah. So yeah. So if you want to talk, sort of, kind of what does happen in the comics after Negan shows up at Camp Whisperer. Are you referring to with Alpha? Yes. So, yeah, that's my thought. Kind of going back to what I was originally talking about, how they've softened him and he's headed there. It, I feel like it almost gives too much away. because I, And I could be wrong again. And just maybe because I do know what happens in the comics. I feel like, I feel like in his heart, especially with how he feels about Judith, how he feels about Lydia that he would want to protect Alexandria to a degree um, and not harm them because it would harm, it could possibly harm Judith. Um, whereas in the comics, when he finds the whispers finally, and he starts flirting with and wooing Alpha, I honestly didn't know what his intentions were until mm-hmm. it happened. And so that was a shock to me Yeah, when he did Spoiler, kill Alpha. Yes, because in the comics, he kind of infiltrates (laughs) the Whisperers and Beta never trusts him. But for some reason, he he manages to gain the trust of Alpha. Alpha keeps giving him, you know, chances to fit in. And he, 
they don't really specify how long he was with them because he follows them around and does their chores mm-hmm. and is kind of part of the pack until, you know, and Alpha tells him you have to earn a mask. You have to earn this or, you know, and, and finally he kind of gets to a point with Alpha where she opens up to him about, she still misses Lydia and she becomes very vulnerable with him. And yep. they have this moment where they're close. And then just when you think like, Oh, they're going to team up. Negan pulls out a knife and slits her throat, cuts her head off yep. and says, Rick, like- and then he says, Rick's going to love this when I bring this back to him. Then he'll see how loyal I am. And I remember my jaw just <laughs> dropped. <laughs> Whereas now I feel like, and again, it could just be me because I know that. So I'm seeing it go in that direction. Yeah. Maybe if I hadn't read the comics, it would still be just as shocking to me. But I feel like because of the softening of Negan, yeah. it's not, it won't be that big of a shock that he's actually there to, to help Alexandria and yes. not turn against them. I, I, I wonder if they go the same direction in the show because Samantha Morton's doing such know. an amazing job. Oh, I don't know amazing. if I see her them killing off her characters so soon also them building up the alpha versus carol situation that a lot of people want to see yeah so they might not do it this way in the show you're right it might kind of be a a misdirect for us (laughs) comic fans thinking oh here it comes and then maybe something else happens even which god forbid fingers crossed maybe alpha kills negan in this situation oh my god that would be crazy (laughs) Um, but that's what I love about the show and the comics is that they do follow, they do bring in like certain, you know, you know, there's going to be big characters. Like you knew there was going to be the governor and you knew that there was going to be Negan and we knew that there was going to be an alpha mm-hmm. and you could start to see certain storylines or story arcs formulate and take place. Yeah. And you can get excited about that if you'd read the comics, but at the same time, you never truly knew what they were going to do or not going to do, you know, there's so many people that are alive in the comics that are not in the show. And so many people that are on the show that weren't even in the comics that it's exciting to me that it doesn't, it's not just a book to show adaptation that it is. That's one of the things that I do still love about the walking dead is Mm -hmm. that it might follow comic storyline and it might not. Yeah. (laughs) So we'll just have to wait and see what happens. But yep. I'm excited either way. Right. Me too. You got anything else to add? I don't. All right. It well, was great talking with you. Yeah, you too. And uh, yeah, it was awesome. Hopefully we'll get to do some more stuff together down the road. All right, that's our show, episode 377. Thanks for listening, everyone. And Anwin, thank you so much for being here. It's been amazing. Oh, you're so welcome. And thanks thanks for asking me, guys. I just um, have had such a brilliant time and it's it's so nice to finally chat with you, Lucy. I feel like we know each other well and it's the first time oh, we've we had a do. good long we're, talk, so it's fam. wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> I'm doing the family sign from a distance here. You can't see it, but you can feel it. Um, no, it's great. Every time that we get a new person on um, House Podcastica or uh, Walking Dead cast or Fear the Walking Dead cast, it just feels nice because we have all known each other for so long now. It's nice to just be able to kind of catch up. Um, so I hope we can have you back at some point soon. Um, Thank you. I'd love to be back. And in terms of the podcast, uh, we will be back next week. Um, if you'd like to call us in the meantime, you can call us at 650-485-DEAD. That's 650-485-3323. You can email us at brains at podcastica.com. 
You can find us on the web at facebook.com slash deadcast. And be sure to check out our other shows at podcastico.com. Your next episode will be on The Walking Dead Season 10, Episode 6, Bond. Uh, You will be without myself and without Anwin because it is a classic Jason Karen episode coming your way next week. So something to look forward to. Yeah, we can kick back and relax. Uh, Excellent. All right, that's our show. Thanks for listening. Don't Don't get get bit, bit, Ian Pettit. Pettit. (laughs) Woohoo! Perfect. First time round. Yay.